Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ron Swallow. I'm Ed Greer. I'm producer Bill. And this is part three of our epic conversation about the greatest comic book movies by decade. We are now at 2010 and moving forward towards the present at a breakneck pace. <laughs> 2010. Guys, this is going to be an eight-hour episode because <laughs> yeah, that decade, 2010 to 2020, or I guess 2019, dear God. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much shit. We're probably going to skip, just for information's sake, most of the animated ones, I think. If it wasn't theatrically released, exactly. I don't think it's worth talking about. Like, exactly. Mad props to DC Animation for all those direct-to-video movies they've been doing. They're amazing. Uh, they, yeah, they got themselves quite a little factory over there, but not really what we're talking about here. Yeah, and if you do want to get some insights on those episodes from someone who's directed, I think, half of them, mm-hmm. there was uh, Sam Liu did an episode with us. Uh, so you can look, search our archives and check out Sam's episode. That machine that you hinted at, Bill, mm-hmm. that machine is a formidable one. Absolutely. So let's get 2010 started. Um, should we do the dogs or the, the, the goodies first? Start with them dogs. All right. Well, we got we got Jonah Hex. Boo. <laughs> Next. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally all you can say about Jonah Hex. Um, here's what I'll say. And this, this is more of a blanket statement because we don't need to talk about Jonah Hex. But we are in this period where the MCU is going to start to dominate everything. And you're going to see some terrible shit being thrown against the wall to see if it's stuck before things just streamline into kind of the MCU and the DCEU that we all know and possibly love today. Mm -hmm. So Jonah Hex, definitely one of those weird oddities from the in-between times. I mean, medium losers to me are the losers. The losers is so not, not anything. I, I, even when I read the graphic novel, honestly, it was just jock doing some yeah. moderately interesting stuff and, and sort of a boring mercenary story. And when they made it into a movie, it was just like, man, it was one of the few things that made me nostalgic for the eighties, just actioners that, that, you know, we grew up watching on home video. Even I'd take commando over the losers any fucking day from filmmaking craft to the script or anything. It's so yeah. funny because Darwin cook in the, the new frontier did a great treatment of the losers as sort of the predecessors to the age of superheroes. And I feel like having read that, I can't see those characters as anything else. So when you try to rip them up into the present day and turn them into the A-team light, I don't know. You're just not doing much for me. And I think this applies to Jonah Hex as well. We're going to go through this period where the studios are still trying to use superheroes as star vehicles, Like This is sort of where the age of the movie star was starting to come to a close and be replaced by the age of IP. But Mm. in the case of Jonah Hex, you had Josh Brolin. In the case of The Losers, you had a a whole roster of like hot young actors. And the studios just found like that formula doesn't necessarily work. Like take something that was one time a comic book and try to just slap the biggest, you know, buzziest name on it as you can. It's like you took the wrong lesson from the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight movies. Like, let's just make it gritty and let's like do some fan casting jizz all over it and see what happens. Because at the end of the day, like 
Josh Brolin as Jonah Hex sounds awesome. And even Jeffrey Dean Morgan was kind of at an yeah. all-time high when they got him for mm. the losers. And this was, uh, what's her name? Zoe Saldana coming off of Avatar. This was like her follow-up to Avatar. And so, <laughs> again, it's like you think, well, shit, this is going to work. And it just didn't. And so yeah. suddenly you're going to start to see the calculus changing with the movie studios. And also just last things last. And I think we spent way too, too much time on this, but the losers as just like IP, like number one, even the one that you revere is no one as far as the average Correct. person on the street. And so then you're just going to try to trot out this new thing. Uh, that's going to connect with none of the people who know the losers. It doesn't, exactly connect to us and it's ip in name only if that makes any sense yeah. it's not an actual intellectual property that's supposed to make name recognition this does neither i don't understand why it even exists my question to you guys is is iron man 2 a miss <laughs> i mean yes it's definitely not going to be on the top of the list of the best of the 2010s it's just not it's just not that's an interesting movie. Like they really tried to do something different. I, I feel like that movie kind of suffers from Mickey Rourke's idiosyncrasies because mm. if he wasn't as crazy as he was a lot of that, like Senate committee hearing stuff, a lot of like Tony Stark's weird, you know, am I going to be a reckless independent or am I going to be, you know, a tool of the U S government? And if I'm not going to be either, am I just going to be drunk like there was some good shit in there, but it was interspersed with Mickey Rourke talking to a bird and then some absolute pablum about inventing a new element. And it was yeah. like, man, you guys had something and then you just tried to keep piling more shit on it. Yeah. But isn't this also where we got Black Widow? Yeah. yeah I don't think Marvel's that's as big of a win as you might. <laughs> Well, Marvel's like good it. for that too. They jam it. That's not. I mean, no. I don't think anybody in this conversation is trying to say that Black Widow sucks ass. No. What no. I am trying to say is they always introduce something that a lot of people think is cool inside of a shit ball. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Age of Ultron had so many plot points that we had to drag. Out. Even Thor: The Dark World had plot points we were have we were going to have to uh, take into consideration later and stuff. And I think. Uh, just not to put too fine a point on it, that's one of the first instances where I feel like the need to expand his character beyond the first movie in some meaningful way and and put over his dad as a genius for some reason. There was a lot of like work done in number two. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, that just it seemed unnecessary. And last things last, uh, Whiplash sucks ass. I don't give a fuck <laughs> if John Gielgud played that character. That shit sucks. That's the wrong direction. Two, a guy with two whips on his hands trying to fight a dude who, who's, who's going to, what, in the span of a couple months, fly a nuke into space and kill an alien armada? Yeah. He's fighting a Get guy with whips on his hands? Yeah. Fuck. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. Also, it, so it, it, it had Batman Returns energy where it had Whiplash, but then it also had Justin Hammer and like they had nothing to do with each other, but they just happened to team up for some goddamn reason. And yeah. it was just like, you're not doing a lot of heavy lifting with this script, guys. Come on. Dude, I, I, basically, they were like, what if they were like, look, this guy's not going to have enough money to make a cool suit to go up against Iron Man. So we got to give him some money. What if we bring in Justin Hammer for money? It's a crime yeah. we haven't seen Justin Hammer since. I mean, great performance by Sam Rockwell, but yeah, it really was a, good. A lot of nonsense. I think Justin Hammer and a lower level guy work very well, but 
it's not fucking whiplash. A, a rich, a rich guy yeah. sponsoring and a, a genius who was ripped off by the Stark family. That's a pitch. That's a yeah. great pitch. But it, towards the end, you get into this ridiculous drone fight. I mean, I think the last, the last um, episode you said your ex-wife Ron uh, was like, "Oh, these are just empty robot ciphers fighting for too long." Yep. She hadn't seen shit yet, had nope. she? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> she had not seen shit yet with all those it just literally empty suits fighting. Iron Man two and Iron Man through ending on empty suit fights. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, Why do you think that's so cool? Don't lump Iron Man 3 in there, man. Iron I love Man Iron Man 3, but it could have ended so much different than a bunch of empty suits fighting. Dude, I just felt like it was the same creative, mistake. Uh, there's some creative shit in the ending of Iron Man 3 that I think is... We'll get to it. We'll get there. All right. So let's knock out these these last two. We've got Kick-Ass and Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Those were the two ones that I think that we're all going to agree were probably the best of 2010. Wait, so you're telling me that Thor didn't release in 2010? I thought it did. No, 2011. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, 2010, a weird dip for you know the nascent MCU. You get Iron Man 2 and nothing else. Um, yep. Kick-Ass and Scott Pilgrim. So like, I don't think Edgar Wright is the unparalleled genius that a lot of people take him to be. Um, so I have some problems with Scott Pilgrim. I think actually the tone of the movie didn't quite capture the tone of the books. Um, I think there were some choices in the storytelling that made it arguably worse. But weirdly, after I just got on my soapbox about how the era of the movie star was coming to an end, or maybe this fits, the choice of Michael Sarah as Scott Pilgrim, to this day, I feel like, Michael Sarah and Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona Flowers are like the two weakest parts of that movie. And if they mm. just would have cast it a little bit better, um, it could have been something, you know, more cult with more cultural staying power. Because I, I feel like you get the uh, Chris Evans performance as Lucas Lee. You get a young Brie Larson and Brandon Routh trying to do something with his career after Superman Returns as the vegan <laughs> rock band. Like there's so much cool shit in that movie but I just don't think that the leads really anchored in the way that they needed to. I think, you know what? I got to say, I might even agree with you on that bill. Cause I, I just feel like that's one of those movies where you look back in time and you'll see like Richard Dreyfus or uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hoffman does Dustin Hoffman, Richard Dreyfus, somebody like that in some, uh, or Dudley Moore or something. And it's just this sexy little guy role. That's like, he's like an ad executive that everybody loves and he's cool and something. And it's just like, because these goofy motherfuckers were hot at that time, they get to be that. When honestly I took Scott to be, I didn't read the books as much, but the Scott that they put in that fucking movie was a cute little guy that all the hoes wanted. Mm. Like kind of like a fucking Justin Bieber type. They're mm-hmm. just like, I'm kind of weak and I can get beat up by guys, but I'm a cute little guy. So that's why you're making the thing about me. I'm not necessarily somebody that's supposedly unattractive. And obviously, Michael Sarah is not unattractive. He's a fucking movie star. But I feel like it was a little bit too milk toast, too genuine nerd to get me involved in his adventures. And I understand he's supposed to be a genuine nerd who overcomes a bunch of super heroic challenges to, to win the day. But I just felt like a, a cute little guy, like a little a little movie star guy, might have been better for that project if they were going to go in that direction. Yeah, I also felt like the the whole tone of the movie is kind of weird because this guy does not deserve to date that lady. And <laughs> it's like a huge trope that people love to see 
or at least have, and it's starting to go away, where some guy who's kind of a loser, also sort of an asshole. Oh, yeah. No, he's earns, not likable in the movie. He like at all. And he is more likable in the comic. Uh, uh, so I think, I guess the comic gets that a little more right. But but this is, it's another one of those movies where it's like, and like, don't get me wrong, by the way, uh, I like Scott Pilgrim versus the world. It's a fun movie. Like I've gone back and rewatched it and been like, all right, I had a good time with this movie. But I do agree that I'm tired of seeing the whole loser dude who's sort of cute gets girl who's like a powerful badass who does cool shit. I don't, I don't get it. And I think you have to be cool and awesome too to deserve someone cool and awesome, like like us, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, I do want to talk about Kick Ass, but I, yes. I honestly, I don't like this movie. It's okay. What? It's mm. okay. It okay, is so okay. Here. And when we get to the ending, it sucks. Mm. That's all I gotta say about it. Uh, the fucking ending is stupid as fuck and sucks and mars whatever was good about the the beginning the whole like i'm a kid and i'm gonna get fucked up uh trying to fight crime the opening of this movie is great the guy in the eagle suit trying to fucking fly and he fucks himself up it sets up this kind of cynical mark miller world with snarky attitude about the whole superhero process and again it's deconstructing before we've even properly constructed on some level yeah and i i just think it it has it's supposed to fucking take place in the real world. It ends with a jetpack fight with machine guns. Do you understand the co- cognitive dissonance? The whole fucking point of Kickass is he's a regular guy who, when there's fifty guys with machine guns, you just lose. You just die. When there's three, Mark Miller stated in the comic books very clearly, Puerto Ricans with knives <laughs> in front of you, and you're a high school kid, you're gonna get stabbed and beat up and hit with chains. Because you don't have any training and you have no chance to win. Kick-Ass is about a guy who takes on being a superhero despite all of that. But where do you get that gravitas that he's such a brave guy? There's really no consequences to any of his actions. And again, he uses a jetpack to murder people at the end. There's nothing realistic about that. Why does this exist? You know what there is, though? Radness. All right? It's fucking cool. It is fucking cool, Ed. Listen. It, that this movie has Nicolas Cage playing yeah. an unhinged Adam West pastiche, which I'm in for all day, every day. Like yeah. I will take that to the bank. The Hit Girl stuff. I remember when I first watched it, I fucking loved it. In that yep. sick, sadistic, you know, gory comedy way, I thought it was amazing. I think looking back, I don't know, man. I have these morality glasses. I look back at things, and it's yeah, just like shit. I just, but I also have a problem with Matthew Vaughn as a director. And I don't like the fact that this movie was sort of the beginning of people fawning over Matthew Vaughn. Like he's somewhat talented, but all of his movies to me are so nihilistic and like are so up their own ass sometimes with how much they revel in violence. So that it was also really weird to me when for the longest time, like people were really pushing for Matthew Vaughn to direct a Superman movie. And I was just like, what are you people smoking? And I just think that Kick-Ass is a great showcase for all the things about Matthew Vaughn that kind of make you go. "Eh." Okay, fair. To me, that's what it is. Did Vaughn do the Kingsman? This is what we just just real quick. Did Vaughn Vaughn do the Kingsman? Kingsman? 
Yeah. Okay. Kingsman is a hundred percent better than Kick Ass in every single way. From the no from the IP to the to the to the execution of everything. I could see people fawning over him for that movie because at least his nihilism is based upon taking apart capitalism and some of the Bond tropes and shit. And I I Kick Kick Ass is nowhere near as good as the Kingsman. I think it's Matthew Vaughn does good in that movie. I would I can't see his that. flaws as as much in in the Kingsman. I so. would agree. I would agree with that. Um, and we'll obviously Kingsman comes up in this decade as well. Um, I will just say, I think Kick-Ass was very well cast. Like everybody in the movie is great in their parts, both the comedy, the action, you know, it works. So that kind of gets it over. I, I think I, Hit Girl should have had her own movie away from that bullshit because Hit Girl, even in the Kick-Ass concept, Hit Girl is the only thing in there that's actually cool. And my personal uh, jaded opinion it's the only thing that's actually original and cool. I'm a sucker for like, you know, somebody trained from birth and how strange you are when you're trained from birth for real. I think we take trained from birth in these movies as like a given and everybody's trained from birth. But if you actually were trained in anything from goddamn golf, mm. look how strange Tiger Woods was getting mm. trained from birth to hit a fucking ball. So imagine if you're trained from birth to murder people the way you interact with the world is going to be totally different. So Hit Girl doesn't really bother me. Uh, even her fucked up morality doesn't really bother me. And her being on her own at the end of the movie actually almost makes me feel something. But um, one last thing I wanted to talk about in this section for 2010 that I think I'm a, oh. I'm a sucker for bringing these, th these things in. But I know what you're going to talk uh, about. Bill coined it last episode. A comic book love letter. Movies that aren't based on comic books, but they're a distinct love letter to comics. Megamind is that. And I think mm. it's worth discussing because that archetype of like brainless superhero and and uh, super um, intelligent villain gets turned on its head in that movie. And it's fantastic. I love that movie. Um, I think that movie is head and shoulders above any other movie we've discussed for 2010. Yep. Uh, it, it, yeah. I, I mean, there's nothing really else to say. That is. That is one of the great all-time Superman deconstructions. Um, and frankly, we should have talked about it in our Superman analogs episode that we did. But there oh, you go. Oh, shit. Damn. You're right. We well, totally you know what? That. Uh, uh, fucking uh, Patreon members will get a, a Megamind episode because I think it is worth uh, diving in. And I think we could talk about... Uh, uh, a lot of the stuff as it relates to the Superman ethos, because I think there's some stuff that's happened in Superman comics recently that we can put into the conversation to pad it out. So, yeah, that's sure. a new Patreon episode we just made just now. Yay. I hate to do this like on the air, but one of the things that I think would be cool for the Patreon is to do like a watch along. And I was thinking about doing like a drunk watch along to Zack Snyder's Watchmen, but maybe we could do it for Megamind. <laughs> Maybe we could do both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we could do both. Th th those are both great drug watch alongs. You know, it's like, mm. ah, they'll scream for me to help them and I'll say no. They'll scream for us to talk about Watchmen and we'll say no. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I will take some Benadryl or something. I don't know. <laughs> Ron will sleep through the conversation. All right. 2010. What a what a weirdly disappointing yeah. year for movies. Megamind maybe notwithstanding. And that movie should be remembered even more fondly than it is. But did we talk about Super? We didn't talk about Super. Oh shit, dude! Super takes Super takes it over Megamind for me. If we're talking about best of the year 2010, that movie <laughs> is so good. <laughs> I mean, the the type of person who wants to be a superhero 
never is depicted in superhero movies. It's another thing I didn't like about Kick-Ass. That kid from Kick-Ass has been lifted weight since he was four years old, he looks like. <laughs> you know what I mean? He does yeah. not look like somebody who just goes, I can't quite fill out my suit, whatever. He was at least a skateboard champ at the first part of the movie. This <laughs> motherfucker, Rain Wilson, this dude is not cut out for this. And it's so beautiful because those are the people who want to be superheroes. Super is the movie that Kick-Ass should have been. It's yes. like in the year that Kick-Ass comes out, a better version of Kick-Ass is released, and it's James Gunn's Super. If you well, haven't and, seen this mm-hmm. movie, it's amazing. Yeah, and I, what I remember of it, because um, I only saw it once, but what I do remember of it, uh, that you kind of actually worried for these guys who wanted to be heroes. Like, you, like a lot of times you root for the guy, like they're super tough or strong or fast, and you're like, well, yeah, cool, look at this cool guy. But these ones, you're like, oh, no. This is a bad situation for all of these people who want to save lives. In in Super, Rain Wilson is waiting in line for a movie premiere and somebody cuts him in line. And so he goes to his car, puts on his super suit, grabs his wrench, which is like his version of Thor's hammer, goes back to the line and beats the guy in the face until he's bloody and unconscious for cutting the line. Like they I are straight they're straight up portrayed as psychopaths, which they would have to be, right? Like, it's amazing. Yeah. Yes, yes. And the dope the dope thing about that type of shit and the situation that he gets into is it's the first time that Taxi Driver gets dragged into the comic book milieu, in yeah. my personal opinion. Yeah. This whole, yeah. like, the type of person who, who does vigilante justice and sometimes gets praised for it in the media is usually some weird shit bag when you really when you scratch it at the surface even minutely. And I love the fact that that was just writ large in, in James Gunn thing. And I love just the simplicity of uh, a real street hero. Yeah, wrench is as good as anything. You can seal it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that movie though is so sweet in a way because it manages very deftly to portray Rain Wilson's character and um then Ellen, now Elliot Page's character, as completely unhinged, but also totally sympathetic. Mm. And as the viewer, it asks you to kind of live in that very uncomfortable in-between space where nothing about the movie makes them irredeemable, but they just keep doing horrible stuff. And it's like you find yourself hoping for them to stop and like hoping for them to get some sense but then at the same time, also hoping that he can find a way to succeed because really his entire mission as a vigilante was he's trying to save his wife from dr- or his ex-wife who divorced him from drug addiction because she mm-hmm. like went off the rails and got really into drugs. And so he decides to go and murder the drug gang that got her hooked on drugs. <laughs> so it's like. There's something somewhat noble about that, but the whole movie is just fucked up in a great way. It's very James Gunn. If you haven't seen it, you must watch it. Yeah, agree. Um, So let's get to 2011. 2011 is a really interesting year uh, because a lot of very important movies come out um, and a lot of really terrible movies come out. But also, I just, as an aside, want to point this out immediately and we can just do it real quick. Um, this is the year that All-Star Superman, Batman Year One, um, and uh, Green Lantern, Emerald Knights, the best DC animated stuff that they had come out 
bar none. I just want to mention that because they're they're amazing. But let's get well, to the live. That's because they're literally based on some of the greatest comic books ever written. So. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And again, if you want to hear more about that, check out our Sam Liu episode. Um, yes. the let's one, talk. Go ahead. I just want to talk about a couple of. Well, I think we should start where it starts because I don't want to talk about this too long, sure. but it is a major achievement. Yeah. And that is that fucking Tintin movie. It mm-hmm. is a major achievement. The directing on that movie and the way things are staged and paced and everything is great. You couldn't pay me to read no Hergé comics. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yep. So, like, it was good to just be able to cut through all the bullshit. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you look them up yourself. I'm not trying to be an asshole to people who used to draw natives fucked up. Look, man, you're from Belgium. You're in the past. You got you got your own cross to bear, bud. But I just I, – I almost hate the aesthetic, but I loved what Spielberg did with it. I don't find myself engaged with the movie, but every moment I could t- tell how much work went into it. So I just – that's my – thing my spiel on the tinted movie yeah nothing to add nothing to add either i think that's a great summary yeah so here's some of the stinkers uh green lantern oh with ryan reynolds (laughs) (laughs) oh damn baby you didn't even put no vaseline on (laughs) oh my god i mean that's one of the worst comic book movies if Bar you're none. one of these absolute assholes that somehow thinks the director's cut of that movie redeems it even slightly, no, go jump in a lake. Yeah, it's <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. There's nothing good about it. Um, it's so bad that the Green Hornet came out, and that was better. Listen, what? that movie underrated. Uh, I think it's a, I, you know what? It's almost appropriately rated, but, it, <laughs> but, but it's, it, you're right. The, the way that people rate it is as though it's as bad as Green Lantern no, and it not. is leagues better as a product yeah. than that. Um, but there's the great that, fight scenes. It's funny. It's got the same basic, it's got an interesting aesthetic to the whole thing. It's fun. It's fast paced, whatever. But it's, just, it's a perfect, it's a perfect in between movie. It's yeah. a perfect movie in between the 90s and the rise of the MCU because it's essentially a movie that could have been made in like 1997 but with sort of the post-ironic comedy stylings of the of the 20 teens and I don't know mm. to me it's eminently rewatchable even if it's also somewhat forgettable that's just how I feel yeah I wouldn't go for so far as to say rewatchable but when I did watch wow. it I was surprised at the the at the the characterization of Cato, I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool how they got to be friends, and I thought it was pretty cool how you know Green Green Hornet just sort of uh, overly relies on this guy, but then claims that they're doing stuff, yeah. which is great. You know, I, I loved all that. I loved the car, jazz like that. But just really quickly on Green Lantern, I know we want to, I will know we want to neuralize ourselves from it, but the series of horrible choices all compacting into each other. And I just, we won't, we won't enumerate them, but just the two, the suit is bad. We're just going to put that to the side. Yeah. There's no fucking majesty to them being in space. Take space seriously. Cause the the only thing between you decompressing and your eyes bulging out is a little bit of ring and some willpower that should be thrilling and exciting. And they managed to make it boring as fuck. And the second biggest sin he has no imagination with that ring. I'm not going to rehash old jokes about it, but yeah. there's no imagination. He makes like a, a dune buggy. He made like a, a roller a coaster slide. car or a slide or something. Just yeah. terrible choices. 
literally every every choice in that movie is terrible. Um, Cowboys and Aliens, uh, which is a pretty cool comic uh, and a not very good movie with really cool people in it. Yeah, this is Daniel again, Craig in there. Yeah. yeah, Daniel Craig, Harrison Ford, Olivia Wilde, uh, da- Damon Lindelof uh, uh, as one of the writers. I, I it's it's this is like. Basically, it should be good, and it's it's not great. Yeah, I uh, I it was also directed by John Favreau. Like this yeah. was his follow up mm-hmm. to Iron Man two. Uh, it, very bizarre. It fits that exact formula I was talking about with Jonah Hex and the Losers, where yep. it's like let's find something obscure, throw a bunch of big name stars at it, try to make it a star vehicle with some weird high concept. And I remember even at the time there were think pieces being written in like Variety and the trade magazines about how like this might be the death knell for that formula of yeah. let's just find any pre-existing IP, try to stuff it full of like big name talent and just assume it's going to be a blockbuster. And I got to say that I think they were right. You know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. that is no longer really the move. Oh, but also the only, th- only other thing I think could be added to that conversation at all is it it also represents a trope that I really fucking hate, and that is superior alien force comes down. Just imagine, imagine we go into a world where they have none of the technology we have. We leave behind a microwave and a fidget spinner, and they just conquer us somehow. They're the linchpin to defeating our empire somehow. Look fucking at Independence Day. I don't know if you've this. met humans, but we're so fucking smart. It just sucks. Yeah, it does. I agree. Yeah, so let's do the middle roads, and I think the middle road might count as Thor. I remember seeing Thor in the theaters and yeah. feeling like interesting. Like it was, you know what I mean? It wasn't one of those movies that you're just like, damn, that changed my life. Yeah. But like everything they did in that movie, that was also the introduction of sort of Marvel's take on magic being like, you know, the science of another world, which is certainly not original to them. It's the old Arthur C. Clarke thing, but like their approach to it and like their, their approach to sort of like, how do we take the weird Kirby version of gods and like make it something digestible on the screen? I don't think they nailed it, but it was interesting. Like the best thing about that movie for me (laughs) was the end credits where they had this amazing visualization of Yggdrasil, the world tree, sort of as filaments of galaxies, like Hubble, Hubble, Hubble Space Telescope type imagery that was like yeah. illustrating the cosmology of the Norse gods. Like that was the best part of the movie. And I think that sort of encapsulates what's interesting about that movie. Like, okay. no, I mean, I, I just <laughs> I think if Thor was directed by Robert, uh, Robert Eggers, right, of the Northmen mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. it would have been sick as fuck. Because, like, the world that he inhabits, like, all I'm saying is the very first thing you see him do is swing his hammer and bust through a giant monster's mouth. And the whole rest of the movie, he's not challenged by anything else more than that the whole time. I mean, when he is a person, he wades through a bunch of well-trained guys. They can't touch his hammer or whatever. And I didn't, I I really didn't get it. I really didn't get his, like, he's on Earth and he's like Splash. Him and Homegirl are having a fucking new version of Splash or something. I just, I just thought that was boring and sucky, and I, I just I didn't get him. I didn't get him. I didn't like it. When he finally gets his powers back, he, he got humbled. I I didn't. I don't like it. I don't like it or Thor the Dark World. I mean, look, there's there's a part that I like in there, and that's the how important it is 
for you to, to be worthy, you have to try to save people. That, that's yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I yeah. like that they put that in there. I think that's very important to Thor's character. Uh, could it have been done better? Probably. Yeah, right. And, and just last things last, I've been a, whole, a Thorophile a lot of my life. And this Asgard is in Oklahoma shit, like, is some of the worst shit in the world for Thor. It doesn't. It sucks. It takes all the magic out of them. I just hate it. First off, it was New Mexico. Okay. And I, I will not have you besmirch New Mexico with Oklahoma, Ed Greer. In the comics, it's fucking Oklahoma. Yeah, they decided to make it somewhere worse in the movie. That's not my problem. <laughs> the, the one thing that is notable about Thor, though, is this really is the beginning of the MCU proper. Yes. Like they threaded some shit through the other movies. But in this movie, Agent Coulson from Iron Man 2 shows up and like S.H.I.E.L.D. is a huge yeah. presence. Hawkeye, Hawkeye makes his little, yeah, debut. Yep. Um, Chris Hemsworth also, this wasn't his first major role, but this was his first starring role. So this was also Marvel sort of proving that they could break actors. Like you don't need a movie star to make it work. Like we can make a guy into the character and you will fucking eat it up, audience. Yep. You know, Marvel kind of slapped their dick out on the table with this one. And we maybe weren't as impressed as they wanted us to be, but like they did it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, the reason why we weren't as impressed is because Captain America, the first yep. Avenger. I think when you compare those two movies, they're both lesser than some of their sequels. But I think even in the, even in their lesserness, you can see that Captain America, in my personal opinion, is not as lesser than subsequent more successful sequels as you know thor is thor is like thor and thor 2 don't hold a candle to thor 3 whereas fucking winter soldier is way better than first avenger but it can hold a candle to it it can yeah. it could light the candle you know well I mean, it does a great job setting up what's important for this character right like what his attitude is what's what drives him and and uh, and while you know some things are left to be enjoyed, there's the scene of him just getting out of the thing and learning how to run when he's super strong is pretty interesting. He's running as fast as the cars, and that's fun. You know, like there's a bunch of really fun moments in this, and I feel like the fun moments in Thor were just a few. There were not a ton. Yeah. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And I mean, talking about Captain America, I, I will say that movie had pretty much everything going for it except its script. And yeah. I remember, again, coming out of that movie and I was, you know, I'd been working in the industry for a couple of years. I think that might have been the time when I was like transitioning into producing and like I made some, I made a, I, I still remember vividly doing this. I wrote an entry in a, in a notebook that I had going at that time where I was like angry coming out of that movie because I felt like they got everything right except the script. I thought it was immaculately cast. I thought it looked beautiful. I thought like all the pieces were on the board and it was just written in such a facile sort of like, Mm, this is still a little bit jokey, like they're writing this on the level of 10-year-olds way that it pissed me off. It was like, you guys did not learn the lessons of the Dark Knight movies. What are you fucking doing? And I feel like I got my wish when they moved on to Winter Soldier and things beyond that, yeah. where it was mm -hmm. like they left some of the 
some of the very basic paint by numbers sort of relationships and dialogue and interactions and connective tissue by the wayside and started making real movies. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then I got to say, uh, I think this is probably the best of 2011 and that's X-Men first class. God, I didn't even like this when it came out. I know that's oh, an popular opinion. It and is. again, I've got a Matthew Vaughn thing, but, uh, I, but I felt like this movie, it, felt cheap it looked cheap it you know was very episodic and disconnected i didn't like a lot of the characters i thought kevin bacon made a good villain i thought fassbender and james mcavoy were phenomenal but i really didn't think like anything else about the movie worked that's interesting because you know when i'm thinking back on it I'm wondering if I just enjoyed those characters so much because I can't even remember what uh, Emma Frost does in the movie. Nothing. And I like Emma yeah. Frost as a character, no, so I would have focused on that. Um, who's the lady who played uh, Mystique, though? The girl who played Jennifer Mystique? Jennifer Lawrence. I feel like she did a pretty good job. She was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Like, okay, but see, this, right. is, this is why these are connected, though. This is why, I mean, I'm not, I don't know if I'm, I I agree with you guys that Captain America isn't that good, but I think it had to do, again, when Marvel does all this heavy lifting and it, and it transfers over to X-Men First Class, mm-hmm. there's all this explanation about where we are and what we're going to do and why this is, why is this chapter important and why are we going back into the past? What's so important in this past? Both of them suffer from this weird weight of like significance for the future and jazz mm. and and you tend to do this paint by numbers this sort of storybook style storytelling when you're going into the past for some reason i think we we think in the past things just happened in this you know what i mean like like they weren't as complex of people like everybody like everybody spoke like a 40s radio serial or a 60s whatever like more mctaggart and that's true homeboys like yeah it, i i I like first class. I like the fact that the Cuban missile crisis is in there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get why that was fresh. I like that Fastbender is a young virile Magneto flexing his powers to like probably the best that I've ever seen in any of the movies. So I love all that. And I, and just like in Captain America, I love the scene Brown was talking about where he's running too fast for his own body. He's not even used to the machine that he is right now, but in both of these movies, they fail to show us like in X Men First Class. They have a training sequence at least. And Captain America, we can't get him bouncing the shield off a couple trees before he starts using it on Nazis and the and the and the thing. We can't get him steering his body, learning how to run in a circle without falling down. We can't get, I mean, any of that. But in lieu of what, like the sequences where he was a symbol and the Marcus McFeely wrote the best Marvel shit. Period. And they yes. wrote that movie. Yes. So all I'm saying is, what the fuck happened? What the fuck were the mandates on them? What what handcuffs did they have or whatever? Because, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, the Captain America and the second Captain America movie, if he went to the first Captain America movie, the movie would be 10 minutes long because he would kick everybody's motherfucking ass and the Red Skull and destroy them, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So it's just a graduation of the concept. But in that same way, X-Men First Class is a distinct graduation of the concept from X-Men, that last Brett Ratner piece of shit. I, I just sure. think you can't give people you you got to give people a break for thinking that that's the best thing since sliced bread when they've been eating Brett Ratner saltines all the time. 
Yeah, and it's it, that's a great point that X-Men First Class was also an exercise in universe building in the same way that like Marvel, you know, by this time Marvel had sort of announced their grand plan, like we knew that they were slotting the pieces in for the Avengers movie. And so this was essentially Fox trying to do the same thing with their X-Men franchise. And yeah, I just I just always felt like Days of Future Past felt rushed and sloppy, which by all accounts it was rushed. And just kind of choppy. Um, yeah, not, yeah. But to your point, Ed, it was a totally different approach to the X-Men. And it was very much the counterpoint to that thing I was talking about with a lot of these other movies where it's like, let's just pick some vague IP and throw a bunch of big names in it. This was doing the Marvel formula. Let's take our biggest IP that we know people love and let's find all the right actors to build an ensemble that is really going to hang with this thing and live with this thing through multiple iterations of the franchise. So, you know, kudos to them for thinking that way. I just don't, I don't know. I never really felt like it was a great end product. Okay. Mm. And let me say this. Um, what I think, like, I just want to point this out because I think this is the beginning as, as long with Iron Man, um, even in Iron Man 2 as well, uh, where they started just, and like I know costumes shouldn't make that big a deal, but this is when they started making costumes kind of just look like the comic book. It's a fair they point. Just, I just, just decided mm. like, you know what, fuck it. X-Men First Class did not do that. Um, they did it a little bit, but not much. They they did a, a a little bit of a version with the yellow and black, but like Marvel was like, no, we're just going to show you what our characters look like and and stick mm. to the characters attitudes and then they it was the first time we really got to see people saying okay these are characters with things that drive them here's what drives them and then making some kind of movie that in, involves that and i think that was a good thing that 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 it started well i will say from an aesthetic standpoint they both got better but the thor costume and the captain america costume even in the first movies yeah. were like holy shit you guys made this work Right, yeah. right, yeah. That's yeah. That's definitely to Ron's point. That that yeah. it really they stopped being so ashamed a bit. All right. Well, let's get to 2012 because 2012 has some has some bangers, some dread. This is the Carl Urban dread, which is a good movie, but also just not a great movie, and kind of gets lost in the wash of the growth of the MCU. Yeah. So, um, and then we had um, uh, Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. I, I will say. Big props to Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance for being probably the first comic book movie to just say, fuck it. And like, yeah. it was rated R. It was bonkers weird. They they got the guys, Neville Dean and Taylor, who directed the Crank movies to come in and direct that movie. It's not good, but it is insane. Yeah. So there you go. We got that. We'll, we'll go with Amazing Spider-Man. That came out oh, in 2012. And I forgot about I, these. I got to tell you, I, I love that movie. I don't know. A lot of people seem to like talk a little shit, but to me, it was the first time they were like, oh, let's make a Spider-Man that's kind of funny. And that's important to me as a, as a fan of, of Spider-Man. And uh, I enjoyed the wisecracking in that movie. Um, I don't know if it's a great movie, you know, with the lizard and, and, and all of that stuff. But I think it's a good movie, actually. I'm just going to say it. I liked Amazing Spider-Man. What about you guys? <laughs> I just—it's so funny that I think uh, 
I don't know. Maybe it's my attitude about stuff. And like Bill's actually you know, made a media, you know, in film and stuff. So, you know, sometimes he's a bit harsh. But I don't want you to think you have to defend your ideas so vociferously, Ron. Uh, don't it's worry just about that. It. It's just that amazing Spider-Man, like, sucks ass. I don't know what the fuck you're thinking. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm just joking. <laughs> the only the only thing about amazing spider-man that actually sucks ass at all is the lizard the lizard is boring and dumb and his overall plot is dumb and it's the type of thing that you just kind of throw into the third acts of these things to make some sort of cohesiveness and we've talked about um uh c thomas howell lining up the cranes to let homeboy swing on them and yeah that part is bad We've talked about that stuff, but I will I will give it to you, man. Uh, Peter Parker being a smart guy, being like, oh, you found my weakness. Little tiny knives. Wow. I got to just give up, say, try to save this lady. <laughs> this He was saying funny shit, and I even enjoyed the fact that he was like a low-key, like handsome guy who might not have trouble getting girls in, in high school because a lot of times – Getting girls, getting the opposite sex, getting the same sex, getting a partner in high school really boils down to your own insecurities in your head. Yep. You either shooting too okay. high, trying to get everybody trying to get with the same prom queen and same quarterback, and everybody walk around love Lauren. Hey, get your fat acne ass over with that fat acne bitch and go on a date. Yeah, <laughs> just chill the. You know what I'm saying? Like, fuck, it ain't that hard, you losers. So I could see him being a kid who thought he had romantic problems and he definitely has home problems because he doesn't have any parents and shit. And he's got this weight of responsibility on him. Even as a kid, you know, you can tell that, that he's, that he's supposed to be the one that transcends their level of living. He's supposed to go to school and be a tech millionaire and, you know, pull at may out the, out the ghettos of Queens. You can feel that in that rendition of the character. Now he does skateboard a little bit too much. I think yeah. they should have made him a rollerblader. Right, Ron? <laughs> um, yes, 100%. Uh, everyone would hate him, though. Um, yes, so, that's, 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 what that's the fucking that's the yeah. nerd part. Is that he's a cute guy who girls like, but he also is too smart and rollerblades. It would I kind like of, him. You know, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. You, so you're basically talking about me. I'm just uh, yeah, designing a movie to appeal to Ron specifically, <laughs> yeah, which no, it obviously perfect. did in its present it state. <laughs> yeah. I still I'm enjoy the movie. I, 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 is it the best Spider-Man that's been made? No. I, I like all of Tobey Maguire's movies better, and I like uh, Spider-Man 2 uh, with the Tobey Maguire better. But I still really enjoy it. This movie occupies an interesting historical place, though, because they were rebooting a franchise from scratch, from the ground up, in sort of an unprecedented amount of time. Like yeah. the pre- mm. Spider-Man 3 had come out, what, th- two or not two but like three or four years years before this yeah Mm -hmm. and that movie while somewhat reviled made a shit ton of money at the box office and sony just made the choice i think for all the same reasons that fox made the choice to do days of future pat or um (laughs) x-men first class to just say screw it now by all accounts they were having problems reining in sam raimi and getting some of the cast back but Spider-Man 4 was on the table and mm-hmm. Sony just straight up made the decision. Nope, we're going to start fresh and we're going to start trying to build out a universe. And that's one of the things that I think really hampers those two Spider-Man movies that they made, the Amazing Spider-Man movies, is like the amount of fucking in your face on the nose world building that they're trying to do between the conspiracy with Peter Parker's dad and like the wide ranging experiments of Oscorp to give us every Spider-Man villain theoretically that's ever existed just becomes like this 
mess of exposition that really takes away from number one, the amazing chemistry between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. Mm-hmm. Number two, the fact that they really did do a pretty decent modernization of the Spider-Man myth. Like, yeah, the, the Raimi movies, as we talked about in our last uh, podcast, were really like in intently anachronistic. Like they were meant to evoke, you know, the simple kind of melodrama of the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko spider-man and in this movie they said no let's really plant it firmly in the modern era like what would this all look like now mm-hmm. and so yeah i just again it's it's a bit of a corporate fumble on this one where if they weren't trying so hard to go no we could do what marvel's doing too they might have had a, a franchise with some more legs and a little bit more creative focus Okay, but how about this? How about this for transitions? To that point, let's talk about The Dark Knight Rises. Because if your boy Nolan wasn't so intent on finding some way to fucking make Batman quit Mm. and wasn't so intent to show this motherfucker in the daylight, I think Dark Knight Rises could have been. I I like the fucking Tom Hardy Bane. Let's start there. Oh, Oh, shit. Unbelievable. People who shit on the Tom Hardy Bane don't understand shit i don't give a 100%. fuck that he's not from santa prisa or whatever the fuck i care that as a character now i do not like him being somebody else's henchman but we'll get yeah. to that hit when they first present him he is cool as fuck he does a complicated practically shot heist where a plane gets chopped in half he has plans on plans it seems like he's the type of guy who's physically imposing enough to fuck batman up you just feel like when you're watching the first part of that movie, you feel like you're going to get something better than The Dark Knight. That first 20 minutes or so, I'm yep. like, this is going to be better than The Dark Knight. He's yep. going to get a physical threat. Uh, it's gonna. He's not just going to fight clowns and dogs and jump off of parking garages and land on people's cars and make them stop for no reason. It's This is going to be a real, intelligent, physiokinetic rendition of the Batman. Let's do it. And then it just starts to peter off after that point as they try to set up the plot machinations and whatnot. I think that movie really goes downhill after Batman gets his disc dislocated because he didn't get his back broken. He just got a herniated disc. But like everything up to Batman being defeated by Bane, I was 110% into. I think Tom Hardy's Bane gets such a bad rap like... I remember them talking both before and after the release of that movie. Christopher Nolan really saying, like, I wanted to create essentially a movie monster, like in in the vein of classic cinematic monsters. That's what I wanted Bane to be. And I think he fucking succeeded the end, you know, the third act notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. But I that performance, the way he looked, the way he moved, the way that the script, you know, unfolded up until that moment when he breaks Batman unfucking believable and then we just tread water for a bunch of time batman climbing out of the well will give me goosebumps even if i just watch it in isolation but that's probably mostly down to the music Mm. um but yeah the way everything comes together and gets resolved at the end is unfortunate (laughs) i'll just say that unfortunate preposterous ridiculous there's reasons why we created these words I love I love Bane's like whole I could take over the city thing, like mm-hmm. exploding a football field while motherfuckers are on it. It was one of the most perfect trailer moments I've ever seen in my Dude. life. Yes. Yeah, 
I remember no in the trailer, I was like, what in the fuck? This is dude, insane. Dude, it was so incredible. And just last thing, super last. I just felt betrayed that Batman didn't learn any lessons from getting his back broke. Really? He, he learned the lesson of like resilience, I guess, because his leg was hurting a little bit and he was, but he, him wading in, I even thought it might've been okay. If Bane had pushed him to the point where he was ragged and he was just coming in swinging wild punches because he was just too tired to do anything else. Like in the comics mm-hmm. or, or, or that, or that, you know, whatever the action scene take places before, like your shoulders dislocated, you're bleeding from the nose and the mouth, and then you have to fight Bane. Mm. But no, he walked down there fresh as a daisy with all mm. of his fucking training we've had to watch for two solid movies, and just swings like like fucking Tank Johnson in a fucking the first MMA match or something. It was pathetic. And then to see him defeat Bane, doing much the same thing, fighting him in the broad daylight, hitting him. And it, but his only thing he learned was hit him in his weakness, hit him in his fucking asthma respirator thing or whatever. That's not my Batman. My Batman comes with a whole new set of techniques, a whole new suite of things yeah. to take on Bane. It makes me think about the um, the 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 actual Dark Knight Returns when Batman goes into the fight, tries to fight him straight on. And he's like, that was so that was stupid. Why did I try to take on a younger guy just as trained as I am tougher than I am at this point instead of be smart. And then he fights him in that mud pit where the guy can't move as well. And he fucks him up because now he's just slowed him down enough for Batman to be the guy who can win the situation and be the smarter fighter in that situation. I would have loved a scene where they did something like that. Mm-hmm. With Bane, mm-hmm. where you I see something where, like that, I thought that's where they were going because they were very clearly mashing up Bane with the mutant leader from the Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which um, is a masterstroke. Which is that is phenomenal. a fucking masterstroke. It, it no, it really is. Yeah, it's. I don't hate the broad daylight fight as much as you do, Ed. I think some of the choreography of just the police like running into gunfire is odd to say the least. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean. Cops are known to run into a hell of bullets. They do They do that. They don't hide behind their cars and wait until people are out of guns and then shoot them. They don't do that. I do that. think that whole scene was was shot in a very epic way. And I do yeah. think that, like, the they made Batman look dope even in broad daylight. You know, the logic of it notwithstanding. Um, but, yeah, I agree with both you guys. The fact that, you know, he just comes back and wants to fight more was a little rough. Like they seem to intimate, you know, there was that great speech that the guy in the prison gives about like, if you don't fear death, then you won't be able to win. Like you have to find the fear of death again, which I think is a little Zack Snydery in that, like the sentiment is cool, but the movie doesn't really give us anything that makes it real. Like it's just a thing somebody says. So like, if I felt that a little more from like act one to act three, I'd be so in, but they didn't earn it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, right. and then let's get to uh, the big one from 2012. Probably uh, this is interesting because this is probably one of the most important movies of the decade, mm. but also probably in comparison of all the other movies, not the best, but also rated. Ex- uh, yes <laughs> i mean honestly it's uh, that's an interesting viewpoint but like 
although I will say this, uh, the one thing that it does get right, I think its third act is good. I think oh, it's, yeah. I think that's one of the biggest uh, parts that it has going for it is the ending is like, oh yeah, this is how this has to look. And it also made Thor interesting. I just want to point that out. This is the first movie where Thor is kind of funny and kind of interesting. Well, and a lot of that comes down to Loki. And just, we haven't mentioned it. We're talking about the original Avengers movie. Yes, Avengers. Um, I mean, look, people have, there's been so many digital bites spilled on the internet about this movie. The only thing I can say is like, it is a good movie. It's it's really well done. The, you know, there's not really a lot of nits to pick. It just suffers a little bit from retrospect because by comparison to everything that came after it, it almost feels obligatory. It almost feels like, yeah, I'd watch it if it's on TV, but like it doesn't excite me. You know, in a, in a world where we've had um, Civil War, in a world where we've had Infinity War and Endgame, that original Avengers just feels a little quaint, which is almost yeah. like it's a victim of its own success. Yeah, but you know what? We got to stop this. God damn it. We really no. do. We, we definitely have to stop this because fucking Batman Begins gets short shrift for the same reasons, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. So you, does the you, Dark Knight, by the way. You have to, you have to get credit, yep. right? You have to get credit for stepping into the stream and being the rock that di- that diverts the stream the stream yep. has changed evermore because of your presence you must get credit for that and i think uh josh whedon just because he's a fucking come on man let's let's just let's just throw all the fucking sex pests into the fucking sun let's fuck yep. let's throw all the cheaters into the sun <laughs> fucking josh whedon writes and directs the fuck out of that movie it has yep. it, now the second one he gets a little too loose with that fucking goofy camera just putting it on the hulk's shoulder while he does stuff but when the hulk gets loose in that movie and you're just on the 35th floor with him and he's tearing chunks out of the thing and he's smashing those chachari like bugs against the wall when when you're when you're seeing like the true teamwork that would have to happen for even these gods to save a helicarrier because it's just multi-trillions of tons suspended in midair so like iron man has to do this and captain america has to do that and yes they reduce captain america to the jumping man you know what (laughs) i mean that that seemed to be his entire power set for most of the movie is i'll jump hither and i'll jump thither beyond that flaw I feel like they represent everybody else really fucking great. I feel like they put over Black Widow so freshly in this movie. This is the first Black Widow movie. I don't know, man. A lot of the stuff that they build on from this is in this movie, and I have to give it the credit that it deserves. And I also have to give it the credit for having a villain who couldn't necessarily beat up all the Avengers, but could represent a threat to all the Avengers with the army that he had. And, you know, say what you want. As far as faceless armies go, the Jatari is number one. Yep. Number one faceless army of all time. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I just loved this movie. Um, it, it, there's character arcs for a lot of the characters. Like Iron Man has a great character arc in this movie. Like mm-hmm. he does come across as the guy who doesn't give a shit. And then he proves eventually that he does give a shit. And he does the right thing in the end and sacrifices. Looks like he's going to sacrifice himself. Like it's it's. It's fucking pretty impre- impressive, honestly. Well, but also, just to put a finer point on it, he, he doesn't – it's not that he doesn't give a shit. He gives a lot of a shit throughout the fucking Avengers movies. He cares more than anybody to a degree that's detrimental. Yeah. But in this movie, he admits he doesn't always know best. 
because, you know, in the end he goes, well, I think I could find a way to not kill myself, but the most sure way to do this would probably be to do the thing that probably kill me. So I'll just do it. And I will lay it down on the line to prove that uh, uh, Steve Rogers wrong. And that was the choice that got him saved. Maybe if he had tried to pull some chicanery, he would have blown up and died. So I, I, I love that. Like he had to give himself over to the fact that he might not know best, even though he's the smartest. I think that's a key part of his character growth. Yeah. And we have to give a uh, uh, huge props for using the Hulk correctly. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Hulk was perfect in this. Like, and that's was, no mean feat. It they really sell, is. They sell how fearsome he is by having Homegirl go in there, and then there's a hundred guys outside. They they sell the fucking uh, what he's been doing since the since the Edward Norton movies in yep. a way that's just. I'm telling you, the screenwriting in this movie, people act like I. That's why Quaint pissed me off, Bill. I'm sorry. Quaint pisses me off because like that's fine. Fucking Hemingway is Quaint with his four word sentences. It doesn't mean it's not the shit. It doesn't mean it's not something to, to, you know, that we can do all this extra bullshit we're doing now off of. You know what I mean? It just yeah. still has its, its, its place Look, in history. Okay. Um, are we on 2013 yet? We're going to 2013. Let's do it. So 2013 is another interesting year with some very bad ones that I think everybody agrees was is bad. So I'm just going to name them and we'll go through them as relatively quickly as we can. Uh, I'm going to go backwards. We got the Wolverine. Thor Dark World, R.I.P.D., hmm. Man of Steel, Kick-Ass 2, uh, and that's basically it as far as, like, big-time things. There's some small things like Crimson, uh, Bullet to the Head. Well, that's two, two Guns. Two Guns was a Boom Studios thing. It had Denzel Washington yeah, yeah. in it. You can yeah. see that something that was at Boom Studios got Denzel attached. But I think we're maybe getting towards, as Bill was intoning, the end of that. Like, people are just like, I don't just want to be in a graphic novel. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want it to be, like, one of the better ones, one that people really give a fuck about. Instead of just using this as an IP farm, actually, people want to see this, and they want to see me in this. Right. You understand what I'm saying? It seems like these at this time, people were still like, oh, people come see Denzel, and the story will be loosely based on some bullshit. But no. It's, you know, we're, we're marching towards when the hero is bigger than the actor. We're going to get yeah. there pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. R.I.P.D. fits that. Two Guns fits that. I mm-hmm. think the Wolverine is interesting because now we're talking, they're continuing in the form of Wolverine, the old X-Men continuity after just soft rebooting it with X-Men First Class. Granted, Wolverine had a cameo in that, but this is where the X-Men stuff starts to really go off the rails because Mm. they're so committed to Hugh Jackman in that role. And that movie itself has a really interesting backstory in that originally it was going to be Darren Aronofsky adapting the Frank Miller Wolverine comics. And Aronofsky ended up dropping out. And then James Mangold came in, who ended up doing Logan later, So he's got some bona fides, but by all accounts, you know, was kind of riding this thing that had been hacked to death, started with an Aronofsky treatment, got handed to a bunch of different writers, the studio turned it into whatever they wanted it to be. And so you just end up with like this totally forgettable thing. This is almost like, I feel like these Wolverine movies have sort of the reverse Dark Knight effect where the fact that they ended so strongly makes you look with rose-colored glasses on 
Hugh Jackman's tenure as Wolverine, but like mm. there's some real shit in there too. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> he, he he does as good a job with that movie as he can. And I think that that's what a lot of you get from from having a guy like uh, um, uh, uh, Hugh Jackman is like, you're like, he made the Wolverine, which was kind of a mess. And you know, the funny thing about this movie, I think I, I, this is another one of those movies that when I watched it there, I like kept starting to enjoy things and then they would ruin it. I, I, yeah, does that make any a, sense? That's a movie that's been rewritten eight times. Like yeah. that's what it feels like when you watch mm. it. Yeah, right. And, and, and also, just really quickly, there is a difference between taking the name of something like Age of Ultron, right? Age of Ultron is not the story Age of Ultron, which takes place in some days of future past future where Ultron took over and yada, yada, yada. Age of Ultron is basically more or less the 10 minutes he was operational <laughs> and not getting his ass hit with Yuru hammers. You know what I'm saying? The 10 minutes yeah. the motherfucker was in existence was the Age of Ultron, I guess. So there's a difference between taking the name of something and doing like a shorter version of it or doing nothing with it and just taking things from the comic book and then just being like, ah, fuck it. I'll just take this aesthetic from it. I E the silver samurai robot in the right. Wolverine. The silver samurai was a guy who had a bone to pick with, uh, with Wolverine. And I think Wolverine was fucking his cousin or his sister. I think it's basically. Sister. Yeah. His sister. Yeah. And it's just like, you're not good enough for my sister. I happen to be a mutant that can that ch- chop people. Even you. So stay the fuck away from my sister. That's a story. This thing that they were doing with this guy with this weird mutation fetish, a new man thing, which I like almost a human rather situation where he's trying to take powers from Wolverine to prolong his life. But then he, then there's a robot samurai. God damn it. What's really interesting is they were trying to do, they were essentially trying to pull a Joss Whedon. And I think you kind of intoned this by comparing it to age of Ultron where it's, it's like, let's take a bunch of elements from the comics and Mm -hmm. remix them into something even fresher and cooler. But I think you, you realize quickly that the reason that works for Joss Whedon is because he's really doing a love letter. Like he's coming from a place of, I know this stuff. I love this stuff. I want to make this kick ass versus people who might want to make a kick ass, but are coming in and just sort of like playing a game of Mad Libs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the Avengers mm-hmm. movies are not Mad Libs. The Wolverine feels a little bit like a Mad Lib. Yes. Sure. Yep. Very well stated. Um, and then we got Thor Dark World, the Dark World. Um, that was pretty bad, um, but also another, not this terrible. Was an, this was another movie that was plagued with uh, production problems, both the script. They had a director Uh-oh. who dropped out. Um, you know, there's it's one of these movies. I actually find this movie watchable. Yeah. But like it's it's forgettable. And I feel like, you know, that seems to be the playbook for Marvel's lesser efforts. You know, they're never horrible, but you're just sort of like, this is competent. And then you move on. Yeah, absolutely. I think we got to hit Man of Steel. Didn't did we do a Man of Steel episode, or or maybe it was in our Superman as the greatest storytelling? Channel yeah, episode. yeah. Well, a lot, a lot of a lot of the things that we won't say here, you will yeah. find in our uh, is Superman the greatest storytelling challenge. But just just and, and again, it's not just some like eh, Snyder sucks. Because let me tell you something, Mean Gene. I, if we if I'm gonna put myself in the wayback machine mm. and tell you how I felt at the time, straight up, 
I fucking cried when Zod got his neck broke. I felt it. It worked on me. And I think that the the fun and games portion of him learning how to fly is some of the best superhero filmmaking that has ever taken place, bar none. I love the effects of the little pebbles flying up from the anti-gravity field that he produces. I love him sort of handcocking and slamming fucking the street up a little bit or fucking up the mountains or him trying to fly through a mountain and he flies through it and it just sort of slides off. Like if you if you a samurai slice a cucumber and it slides off a little bit afterwards. I loved all that stuff. I even love some of the ultraviolence. But when I found myself inside of the the scenes of Zod and him fighting, getting a little bit bored. Even, like I said, even with that emotionality I had in it and a little bit of this light in the sky thing, you know, uh, the, mm. the, the, the non-cinematic. There was, for such a brilliant filmmaker, a lot of that whole movie wasn't cinematic to the point where when we get to the neck breaking, I felt like that was great drama. I'm sorry. I'll admit to it. When I was that first time I saw it, I felt like it was great drama because obviously he's just saying that this family represents all the people sure. who would be lasered to death by homeboy. You know what I mean? And they just kind of communicated it. And then the snap, and he's like, what did I do? Like, it's the best cavil acting you've ever seen in your fucking life. I will brook no resistance. It's the only time I've ever seen this motherfucker act. That, and maybe when he cocks his arms in fucking Mission Impossible 4, (laughs) or whatever the fuck. Uh, He's acting great in The Witcher, by the way, as well, so. Well, I haven't watched it, so I can't speak to that. Yeah. Also, like, his acting amounts to a lot of growling in that show. Yeah. That's true. That's true. He's right. Just a so I'm just guy. saying, I'm just saying, like when you see his response to having to have to take that responsibility of taking a life, I'm sorry. I felt it at the time. Now, obviously, nowadays, I can't even say I'm one of the tribe of he should fly him over here. He should have did this. He should have did that. He's got no skills because the yeah. movie didn't allow him to get any skills because the movie didn't have any fun and game section of him actually saving people. It had some really dour bullshit on an oil derrick. And it had him twisting people's shit up and bullying them in Alaska and stealing motherfucker shirts and shit. There's a lot of that time. They had a lot of time to have uh, Kevin Costner talk him out of any sort of heroism. That scads of screen time for that type of bullshit. No time for him to be a superhero. And that's the thing that sucks about that movie. Yeah, I'm glad he saved the dog, though. Oh, man. <laughs> um. I mean, look, there, there, I... This is I this is funny that Ed says this because I also remember going, wow, this looks like how I think Superman would look like if it was a real life thing. Oh yeah. The, I, I remember mean, thinking that. The but, aesthetics, the aesthetics of the movie are just from front to back awesome. Yeah. Everything looks fucking phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I you know, we I have lots of problems with the whole thing. Um, I don't like him not saving his dad. And I, it, there needs to be a way he can't save his dad in my mind. Like it's, you can't, it, there's no choice look, there. You don't look, not save your fucking dad. That's the, fucking the ridiculous. En- the entire movie is just a absolute failure of storytelling. Like yes. every choice that they make, every non choice that they give the character, every weird totally disjointed disconnected flashback that never adds up to something greater than the sum of its parts it's like they put a bunch of great pieces on a table and then didn't even try to put the puzzle together they just mashed them all together and walked away and it's like that movie 
wastes so much potential. I did not have the same response that Ed did walking out of it the first time. I, I felt like we got to that ending and I got it. I got, I, I understood everything about it. The fact that, you know, that family represents what would happen to humanity. And Zod makes it very clear that he will never stop until he scours humanity from the face of the earth. And I'm just like, why did we get here? Why did they make, why did they make all these storytelling choices to get us to this moment? And then like, it just struck me as being so defiantly grim dark of like, well, yeah, we need to get to the point where Superman snaps a fucking neck. And like, that's not even my biggest gripe with the movie, but I think it's just emblematic of the fact that choices are made in how movies are put together. And so yeah. it could look great. It could have a fucking great score. It could have a lead actor who looks exactly how you want it to look. And like, all the actual narrative choices are just total bullshit. Yep. Yep. Um, group. I guess we got there. Um, let's talk about, we'll do a quick kick ass two. All right. We'll do it really quick. It sucks ass. Now, okay, uh, Iron, Man uh -huh. uh, Iron, Iron Man three, Iron Man three. All right. Okay. This, this is, this is one. I, it's not one of my major hills to die on, but like when people just dismiss Iron Man three, I feel like you were, you were, you kind of feel like me, Bill, whereas people just dismiss it out of hand or tie it to Iron Man two as though they are the same thing. Yeah. Just stop that bullshit because Iron Man three is an actual piece of art. Yep. Now you may not like all of the choices. I personally don't like him kicking it with kids no whole long amount of time, and he's he, he's stranded somewhere. He can't get blah blah blah. But I do love how whatever machinations you have to do to get it stripped down to who is the Iron Man. Is Iron Man a shell around Tony Stark, or is Tony Stark Iron Man? And throughout the course of that movie, you find out that Tony Stark is Iron Man. It's not a collection of parts. It's his mind. It's his will. It's, you know, it's him. He's the Iron Man. I think that's really dope as fuck. I agree. I think that that movie does so many smart things. It is not a deconstruction of the superhero archetype. It's not a satire. It's nope. not, you know, swinging for some big statement. But it zigs in so many places where any other movie would zag. It creates a very, to me, I thought a very interesting, incredibly threatening villain. Um, it, it characterizes Tony Stark in the exact same way that Ed is talking about. And then also like challenges him in real ways to think outside the box. And it essentially takes him from the starting point of like, I'm the biggest superhero on earth breaks him down to like are you though and then builds him back up to like what do you really need to do to yourself to be like a functional superhero mm. and not just a guy who's so reliant on like i'm a genius and nobody can touch me and i don't know i i find that movie so entertaining i think some of the performances are great like yep. um what's his name from memento guy pierce as killian just yep. kills me the guy who plays his henchman who's always skulking around killing people is amazing weirdly um robert downey jr it might be his best non-avengers performance as iron man i think his performance as iron man in iron man 3 is better than his performance in iron man 1 or even civil war um i don't know man i love this movie you know, it's it's funny that you guys all the way you guys talk about it, i just want to let you know the first time i watched iron man 3 it bugged the fuck out of me. I didn't like what they did with the Mandarin. 
even though it's the Mandarin is a terrible character overall and where it comes from is terrible. Um, but then I went and rewatched it again and again and again. And it, mm. I started realizing, first off, it has rewatchability. Uh, 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 secondly, uh, it's so interesting that you take this guy who's as egotistical and uh, arrogant and and uh, yet at the same time confident as Tony Stark is supposed to be. And you give him PTSD because he almost fucking died and he's not mm. trained to be a guy who mm. almost dies. He's yeah. never had this. He hasn't gone through what Captain America has. He hasn't gone through a Black Widow or Hawkeye or any of these guys who are literally trained to be soldiers in a war or in the spy game and dangerous in some way. He's never gone through that stuff. Mm -hmm. He would freak out. You would freak out if you were a smart guy who made a suit, who was just a, a daredevil who enjoyed really dangerous, crazy shit, and then realized how really dangerous, crazy it was when you almost died coming down from space. I love that they put that in there. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I didn't love it at first, but the more I looked at it, I was like, this makes sense. And I think it's a great, a great important part of the character. And getting through that is important to the whole series and to everything he does from that point as well. Mm -hmm. And And I just want to point out that it also broke him down to being the mechanic again. Mm. You know, the, one of the amazing things about yeah. Tony Stark is he's in that cave with not very much. And yeah. he comes up with a way to, 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 to make it work. And this is him doing that again, but realizing that he can do that and he can do that anytime. Just yeah. thought that was cool. I also think this movie did some of the most creative stuff with the Iron Man armors that we've seen in any of the Marvel movies. And I know, mm -hmm. Ed, you've got some complaints about it, but to me... It's mostly fight. just seeing them get destroyed. I think that's probably my real big beef is like oh. this intonation that he's going to stop on some level. I think it harkened back to that Nolan bullshit. I'm like, you know, you got this motherfucker contracted for four more movies. Why do this ridiculous bullshit of destroying all these armors as though he's going to quit when you know he's not going to because the whole movie is about him bringing himself back around to the point that he is the Iron Man. Like, what the fuck is going on? That's what Fair. my beef was. Fair enough, but I think throughout the movie, they keep teasing you with, is he in the suit? Is he not in the suit? The fact that the yeah. suit can function autonomously, the fact that he can like direct the suit to go around Pepper and protect her in the middle of that explosion. All great That part stuff. was tight, yeah. Yep. And then they pay it off amazingly in that final fight scene where he's literally jumping in and out of different armors like trying to trying to survive trying to kill people trying to protect himself and it's like that to me that was just such a er example of taking the subject matter seriously and then pushing it like okay this is a guy who compulsively builds armor that can all do different things that can operate as drones and that can come and like be semi-autonomous what would he actually do in a fight and like, I just, I love all that, that whole fight scene at the dock with, you know, the, the cranes and the, the shipping containers. Oh, it's, I love yeah. it. It's hard Absolutely. as fuck. And it's big as hell for like a one movie guy. You yeah. know, that's like a, almost like a, that's a scene that you would have seen in the, you know, uh, maybe the middle of an Avengers movie. Yeah, 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 know? exactly. Exactly. So as a side note, guys, uh, we're clearly, we're clearly going to get to 2015 and this is a four parter. Um, so let's let's 
let's this is because we're not getting through seven more years to 2022. So let's do to 2015, and we're doing part four. This is our biggest series of all time, and people can enjoy it. It's going to be fun. That Yay. way, we're not giving short short thrift to anything that is fun to talk about because this has been a blast. So I actually do think that the conversation of what is the best movie from 2010 to 2015 is actually really interesting. So it really let's, is. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, Absolutely. so uh, I'll do the the also rans on this one. Uh, that sure. uh, fucking Sin City Day to Kill for some of the same problems as uh, the first one, just a real artificiality. Um, uh, fuck it. I guess all you need is kill was a comic book. So Edge of Tomorrow is my jam. Everybody Ooh. knows I love me some yes. Edge of Tomorrow, and just I think we're gonna do a whole episode about um. Edge of Tomorrow, either on the Patreon or something, because I got a lot to say about it. I'll just say there are so many people out there with the sound of our voices that haven't seen it and sort of ignored it and think it's one of these weird Tom Cruise bombs like Oblivion. And even Oblivion is more interesting than even I gave it credit for. But like Edge of Tomorrow makes Oblivion look like a fucking serial from 1940 or something. Edge of Tomorrow is so amazing. Please give it a shot, guys. It is it is truly a towering piece of filmmaking, and I heard they were going to try to make a sequel, and I got like excited for the first time in like five years. Um, all right, uh, let's see. Big Hero Six is allegedly based on comics or whatever. Uh, I personally don't like it. I don't think it's good. Uh, they oh, had that's a, interesting. Yeah, I don't like it. Um, I've never seen it personally, so I, can't, I, I thought can't it was comment. fun. I think it's generic as fuck, and I wow. think you're, I'll you're, give you that. Yeah, your your tolerance for genericism is far higher than mine. Yeah, uh, I'll and give you not, that it's pretty generic, it, but it's like a it's like a you know it's like a a sad kid who becomes less sad when he finds a some some cool people to hang out with and becomes a hero. I mean, you know, that's the story. Yeah, so. and as far as love letters, we got Birdman, which yep. is was an interesting. Uh, uh, it's a love letter. It is not based on comics, but it's a love letter to like a certain sort of former stardom and a certain sort of deconstructive attitude. So I really, if you like that sort of thing, check that out. I love a lot of the shots in it. Homeboy is just a brilliant director. Um, now get into the meat of this section. I'm not going to talk about Captain America yet because that's a headliner. Mm-hmm. But also, there's some headliners in here, so let's Huge. just. Uh, fucking really quickly before we talk about the second headliner, we got to talk about the third headliner, which is Amazing Spider-Man Two, a fucking <laughs> wonderful <laughs> champion where Moray Eels give somebody electrical powers, even though Moray Eels like, okay, we're not gonna talk about that. It sucks. Paul Giamatti, Rhino, uh, Electra, Electro as like a guy with a comb over. Negroes don't have comb overs. <laughs> Word to the no. fucking wise in the makeup department. Yeah. Negroes, no comb overs over here. Anyway, so I'm not gonna, I'm literally not gonna talk about it anymore. We're not gonna, it doesn't deserve it. It sucks. It ruined everything. Fuck it. Now, Guardians of the Motherfucking Galaxy is the shit. I maintain shit. that al- along, along with Iron Man, I think things like Iron Man, things like Winter Soldier, which we're about to talk about, things like Guardians of the Galaxy can make a credible argument for best marvel movie especially when you give it the fact that guardians of the galaxy has none of the infrastructure of any of the other movies it's just like hey here's this new thing these new guys if this movie doesn't go well we're gonna fucking sweep this under the rub so quick guardians of the galaxy could have been the eternals like let's you know what i mean like let's let's give credit where credit's due 
it could have been the Eternals, just this weird little experiment that nobody really wants to acknowledge after it happens. Instead, it became an absolute goddamn phenomenon that your mom loves. And I read I read the comics when I was a kid, just like in passing, and I never thought about them again. I didn't read the earlier, the newer versions that this one's semi based on until after the movie. Well, a lot of a lot of the work in the comics of making it look like the movie happened after the movie. You know, yeah. they essentially retconned some of the comic book stuff to match up to what they did in the movie because the movie was so successful. Yeah. And it is worth noting that, like, James Gunn essentially did what Joss Whedon did on the Avengers here, which is let's take all these different elements from different eras, even from different books, and let's remix it into something that absolutely honors the spirit of what this thing is, but... Yep essentially gives you a whole new story with an improved modern day streamlined take on the characters. And, and I'm uh, going to say oh. best, best Vin Diesel row of all, all time. He <laughs> <laughs> was certainly more believable in it than most things. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know what I want? I, I fucking don't have her name up here. Maybe one of you guys could look at it. The screenwriting team for gardens of the galaxy. I think you'll find something instructive in that there was a lady that was part of that screenwriter lab. Same thing with the guy who wrote black Panther. They used to put these fuckers up in a screenwriting lab in uh, Marvel and they would just give them all the comic books they could read and all the fucking, you know, uh, uh, Cheetos or whatever the fuck and just lock them in this campus basically and bounce ideas off of each other. She comes out of this lab with a pretty workable version of the Guardians of the Galaxy script. They give it to James Gunn. James Gunn does his magic on it. We get Mm -hmm. this brilliant movie. Second movie, he writes it by himself and it is not as good, period. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's there's this sort of like Taika Titi writing with somebody he respects, writing a bunch of shit by himself or or overbearing on a screenwriter that's maybe not credited. It's worse. You could you could see it plainly. It's worse sometimes when you don't have a little bit of a somebody there to do some of the hard work for you. Yeah. Yeah. So the writer's name is Nicole Perelman, um, and this is wild. I didn't realize that they did this. She essentially had no credits, but she was accepted into Marvel's screenwriting program in 2009, contributed uncredited to the Thor script, and then her first professional screenwriting credit was the Guardians of the Galaxy movie with James Gunn. Fuck it. And see, you can do it, guys. That's the whole point of us nerds hanging out is half the time we're trying to we're still trying to make it, baby. You can do it. You don't you can come out of nowhere. You really can. That's wild, man. Yeah. Yeah. But she did a hell of a job. Also, uh, what gets story credit on Captain Marvel and Pokemon Detective Pikachu uh, years later. So, yeah, just man. appears to be someone who was pulled out of Tisch School of the Arts and uh, has just been on the Marvel payroll ever since. Good for That's her. what happens when you, wow, when you wow your professors. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, man, this motherfucker's papers is on hit. <laughs> So uh, before we get uh, into the what I think is going to be the big one, um, I do want to make I do want to mention a couple of small, pretty cool things or just like okay things. Snowpiercer. I don't know if you guys saw mm. Snowpiercer, but I really liked that movie. Great movie. It's 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 like a solid ass movie. It's tight. It it moves quickly. It's an interesting, um, um. It's an interesting concept and in, in a in a weird situation. So it's I like it a lot. 
So yeah, I think it'd be a lot better if it had a werewolf in it. But other than that, uh, yeah, <laughs> I th- I think it is. I think it is interesting. I like I like the people being people being trapped somewhere is not my favorite genre. So I don't know that I like it as much as you guys. But the fact that it was developed off of a, off of any sort of comic book IP or something is really fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's based on a manga, but it was also directed by Bong Joon Ho. Yep. Uh, it was a Korean production. Mm-hmm. Bong Joon Ho, if you don't recognize the name, is the guy who won the Oscar for directing Parasite. Mm-hmm. And um, great cast too has uh, Chris Evans, um, Jamie Bell, Tilda Swinton, and mm-hmm. Ed Harris playing the big bad. And like mm-hmm. everybody kills it. Oh, but you know what I think it is with me? I fucking I can't stand shit like that or Hunger Games. Like anything where people kind of line up to get their throat slit, yeah, really makes me sick. Like you know, that. but 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 because it reflects our society, we yeah. eat carcinogen carcinogens all day because we won't hold the EPA to certain standards. We you know we send our kids off to war because we won't let you know what I'm saying. Like we do a lot of the type of shit people do in these movies where you just sort of bow under the boot or whatever. So it just reminds me that that's what we really are. We're not I, these valiant citizens like that. We really are kind of capitulating to the one percent all the time. Yeah. This yeah. might be a topic for an entire episode, but I really hate post-apocalyptic adventure movies. Oh, to interesting. Me, to me, the greatest post-apocalyptic movie ever made is The Road because mm. it's not an adventure. It's like a barely survive depression right. movie. Right. Because that is what a post-apocalyptic scenario should, yeah. would, and could be. Like the idea that, oh, no, it's the setting for some triumphant, you know, ragtag group of young people to do their thing like fuck that <laughs> it's, it's and then but the thing is that's what a lot of people want to believe you know what i mean a lot of people yeah. really believe yeah when the apocalypse goes down i got this shit handled no mm. you fucking don't none of us do it's a nightmare it's a <laughs> nightmare of of nothing available to you learning how to fucking live off the land and i don't even mean live off the i like there's nothing in the land you got to eat leaves and dirt and fucking sticks and shit that's what an, a real apocalypse is like well dude and, audible audible mentioned book of eli it has its problems but one of the very first things the hero does is shoot and kill a cat for himself to eat because that's the world when you're in the, the apocalypse cat moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> um there was also a couple of things I wanted to point out. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the, the new big giant ones where they're like the size of the Hulk. X-Men Days of Future Past. I also want to make a mention of the Lego movie and then uh, back in 2012 or 13, the Lego Batman movie. I just want to bring those up as fun little side things that were pretty cool, but nothing that we're going to include in the what is the best Lego Batman movie kicks Pretty great. ass. It really does. Mm-hmm. Absolutely so, kicks ass. It does. X- I, by the way, I think X-Men Days of Future Past is the best of that entire second series of X-Men movies. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree that I love the, them sending, um, using Kitty Pryde to send him back. Was it more, was kind of more interesting because he's vastly more interesting character than the Kitty Pryde that they had had so far in that series you know so yep. it just made sense for wolverine to be the one that goes back plus he knows the terrain because he lived through it and stuff you know it just was a really good workaround of the of 
it was a change that made sense. I know comic book people get their get their neurodivergent uh, fucking panties in a bunch about when you change from the fucking uh, source material, but that was a good change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent agreed. And so I guess let's get to the big one, and that is Hercules with uh, <laughs> Dwayne Johnson's um, Hercules. It's, uh, it's the best. Uh, not to mention I Frankenstein. Obviously, those were the two best movies of 2014. Um, <laughs> no, else, obviously nothing else to see here. Nope, oh no, no, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Wait. 300 Rise of an Empire oh, doesn't yeah. get any. <laughs> God, There's we are better now, than that. It is worth pointing out. So we are now firmly in the oversaturation era. This yes. this might be the year, right? Just based on all this, this might be the year that there's officially too much superhero media in the marketplace. There was a ton. But we did get Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Oh, and this has become this has become your most boring friends favorite Marvel movie. <laughs> yep. And at the Ed, same are you, time, are you my most most boring friend, Ed? I personally like I think Civil War the best best. Mm-hmm. But yeah, fucking Winter Soldier is the shit. All those people who want so-called real movies applied to Marvel, they got their fill on this one. And I, from beginning to end, I think that movie rocks. I think it gets maybe a little rocky towards the 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 late part of the third act. Gets a little maudlin and kind of just like we're done yeah. punching for now. Now yeah. we have to do the emotional part. And I get that and I like it. But I'm just saying, just action rollicking. The opening of this movie is how Captain America Oof. should have always been forever. It is it is a masterstroke. I don't know if it's going to be defeated for years to come. It's the perfect action opening of a movie. And let's not forget that this was the movie that gave us the Hydra twist. This was yep. the movie mm-hmm. where like the hammer dropped and suddenly, oh no, S.H.I.E.L.D. is Hydra. They've been infiltrating for 60 years. And mm-hmm. like that was such an awesome, awesome use of the shared continuity to just mm-hmm. propel this fucking invigorating story. Masterstroke. I mean, to me, tonally, this movie is maybe second only to Infinity War in terms of like the tone I want out of my big spectacular superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It feels dangerous. It's shot like breathtakingly. You know, everybody in it is acting appropriate to the stakes um, that they're experiencing. Like, this is not the Marvel movie where, you know, you follow up something sad with a joke. It's like when Nick Fury seemingly dies and Captain America and Black Widow meet in the hospital. Like, it is fucking almost maudlin how sad everybody is. And then the world is crumbling under their feet and, like, you feel it and you keep feeling it. And I just... I respect the hell out of this movie. It's not my yeah. favorite Marvel movie, but I respect the hell out of it. And and the the some of the stuff that I really enjoy in this movie as well is how well they actually used comedy in it. Mm. Because the parts that are funny are not so funny that they throw you out of the danger. They they enhance the danger, giving you a a moment's respite, I guess is the word from how dark and crazy yeah. it is to think about it. I mean, this is like if you if you found out that Nazis had actually been running the American government and the FBI the entire time. I mean, look, and I think arguably 
it's a good movie without powers involved. Mm. The powers just make it a little more fun. This was also the movie that I think really cemented the professional relationship between Captain America and Black Widow. Like, yep. I don't think Black Widow's ever been better than in this movie. I agree with Ed. Like, the first Avengers movie was an absolute showcase and level up for her, and it was awesome. I still think Captain America Winter Soldier is like the best Black Widow I've seen on film. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. No, she did. She definitely was. And uh, last things last, the Winter Soldier, just the whole aesthetic of him, if he doesn't work, that mm-hmm. whole thing doesn't work. And just the mystique of him and even as a person who knows that he's Bucky the whole time and it, it, they didn't really try to hide it really. It's not, it's not important. Mm-hmm. It still had gravitas because Steve didn't know it. Steve being uh, ignorant of something and him having to find it. It has a nice echo later when Steve knows something that Iron Man doesn't know and Iron Man has to find it out and it's related to the winter soldier. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's something so powerful about setting him up as this guy who can have done a billion different things throughout the Marvel universe for us to pour over later when he becomes a hero. Just yep. that, that setup of, I was a former villain. I did so many bad things. He's the Wolverine of the MCU. Well said, well said. Um, yeah. I just want to mention too, that this, this might also be the apotheosis of, of uh, Nick Fury in the MCU. With yep. respect Ooh. to, we haven't seen Secret Invasion yet, but like <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson absolutely slays in this movie with not a lot of screen time. Like he's he's out of commission for a lot of it, but like every little bit that he has, he makes it count. And age at thirteen and fucking Peggy, yeah. they're fucking killing it, dude. Yeah. They're killing it. killing it. Yeah, this whole movie's fucking amazing. I I, I I'm I'm probably going to be choosing this for to 2015 because 2015 itself didn't have a lot of killers it had some fun movies didn't have a lot of killers um so let's move on to it 2015 um i think we're gonna skip the 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 shitties because there's basically just fantastic four um and a few other like silly shit that came out can i i do want to say one thing about fant four stick uh sure that movie is fucking terrible and it's it's um behind the scenes drama is legendary at this point. I mean, that was a movie that literally got taken away from its director, reshot and recut by the studio by committee. And you know, it shows, and I don't know that the original version would have been any better than what we actually got. I think that's significant because as far as I can tell, that is the first time that that happened in the modern era of superhero movies where like, there was such an unmitigated disaster that like the movie was essentially unsalvageable. And I do think that like from this point on, that's when you start to see the MCU consolidate power. Like this was this, this failure of the, the fantastic four reboot was sort of the death knell of what Sony and Fox had been trying to do with their Spider-Man and X-Men franchises, building them up into universes that are going to compete with Marvel. I think you mm. get to this Fantastic Four movie and suddenly everybody maybe not starts to pump the brakes, but definitely starts hovering over that brake pedal. Well, dude, but just like I said before, the Cowboys and the aliens or whatever, just because you got an alien wristband don't mean you could take on the whole fucking armada. 
And just because you got three or four of the fucking least popular fucking characters at the time doesn't mean you could compete with the whole rest of the Armada that is Marvel. It was just I, I can't blame them. I'm trying to work. I'm trying to work for more with less, just like they are. Yeah. But it's just it's just a Sisyphusian task. And I think, um, and, and just really quick, Chronicle, which we didn't talk about, oh, but oh, it yeah. is also a love letter to the the anime and 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 superhero genres, while not being based upon a specific thing. And that's what, of course, got this guy Fan Forstick the job. Yeah, him doing Chronicle with Landis. I loved Chronicle, by the way. Yeah, that's a good and, movie. And, you know, it's interesting. I think a theme is sort of appearing here in these five years that we're talking about because Chronicle is another movie that was written as a love letter by an unabashed fan. And whatever mm-hmm. you think of Max Landis, like that dude is a comic book geek through and through with big opinions and very sharp takes. And so between Joss Whedon, James Gunn, and Max Landis with Chronicle, like you see that formula working. And with a lot of these other franchises where they're writing it by committee or bringing in people who are well-known screenwriters who have no love for the material, you see it failing. And so I think, you know, whether or not Hollywood has learned that lesson in these in these years, in retrospect, it's a very clear lesson to learn. And, you know, meanwhile, everybody really was just trying to make everything as dark as the Dark Knight and as interconnected as Marvel at the time. And like, wasn't the way to go, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So we, uh, as we, we got, we also got, okay. I, I do want to mention this one and that's, uh, Kingsman, uh, the secret service. Mm. Um, is this the, is this is the first one, right? Am I remembering yeah. correctly? Yeah. This yes. is the one with, with Colin Firth as the mentor yeah. character. Yeah. Yeah. Samuel Jackson's I, the villain. Yeah. I, I love this movie. I, 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 I recognize that it's probably, got a lot of problems but i remember watching it and just being like holy shit this is fucking fun like just fun i just but you, but love you the fight but, scenes. But again again ron ron your abuse yeah. of this word fun we gotta we gotta talk about this i agree that it's fun but sometimes yeah. you you'll say that in with that same intonation towards something so much dumber than this that's true. And I That's just true. I don't understand because like again, I don't even think that the appellate needs to be put on these motherfuckers because they are having fun because the world is well realized. Yeah. I I fucking believe wholeheartedly throughout that whole movie that there was there's an ancient order of motherfucker Kingsmen. There's a there's a shop that they go meet at. They're they're underground James Bonds and stuff. You could be part of their fraternity. I believed all of that. I believe the class story of a guy like an uncle figure coming and telling you, you gotta get out of these streets and stop being a shithead. And the main reason why you're a shithead is your mom's a dumb asshole who's poor. And you live in a fucked up area. <laughs> yeah. And neither of those things are going to change unless I change them. Now, if I do, but, and I see, and the only reason why I'm even worried about changing it for you is I see that you could be useful to me because these streets have made you into a special type of agent better than the ones that I can't trust anymore. So I got to take you under my wing, just do this plan. There's something, last Starfighter, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Luke getting trained by the Jedi. There's something dope in the DNA of that idea. I frankly love Kingsman. I don't know about the sequels and shit, but I love Kingsman. I love that kid, Eggby, uh, Eggy, whatever the fuck. Eggsy. The kid who plays him, Eggsy, the kid who plays him is that kid's a star. I don't know yeah. why he picks such terrible shit, but that guy, besides the Elton John movie, but that guy's a star. That kid's a star. Yeah. 
I also love Kingsman. I remember at the time, and I'll stand by this, feeling like, oh, this is the good version of X-Men First Class. Yes. Like, all that shit <laughs> of the kids. In yeah. The, yeah. Like, yeah. And ironically directed by the same guy. And like, I, I'm with Ed on everything. I also tend to be forgiving of the nihilism in this movie because you're blowing up a lot of people's heads with like gleeful abandon, but those people are either religious fundamentalists or billionaires. And so like, yeah. it doesn't so, offend yeah. me quite as much. Mm -hmm. um, fuck there's something a little bit weird about a movie that like straight up makes a complete, like makes a very blatant joke out of the fact that the hero gets anal sex as a reward yeah. for saving the world. Yeah, that part um, was a yeah, that was questionable. That was you know, it's like and that's again to me like that's just Matthew Vaughn to a T where I'm a little bit like this guy just likes to revel in this weird, you know, edge lord quote shit. unquote edgy chicanery, but yeah. Other than that, like this movie is completely fucking enjoyable. Yeah, and it's mm -hmm. probably my favorite of 2015. Although I guess a close second might be Ant Man. I'm one of those people who really enjoyed Ant Man. I, love I know Ant -Man. you like it. I love it. Awesome. I know a lot of people who don't like that movie, and I'm so confused because yeah, I it's so I enjoyable. Am. Yeah, no, I, I'm confused as to that because you know what I think it is though. It's those fuckers who started that rumor that it was like a heist movie. And and like and they also started the same rumor that like fucking uh, Winter Soldier was an espionage movie. Mm -hmm. There's fucking zero espionage in that movie. Like espionage is like I found a vial and a dead rat under a bench in Central Park, and I have to cut it open and read a message and then eat the message. That's espionage. Right. Yeah. All the cool parts of espionage are what we get in movies, and it's this other genre besides espionage. So let's start there. But like, yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. Ant-Man is not a heist film anymore than I'm a goddamn ballerina, but it doesn't yeah. matter. It's a cool, small level kind of technologist superhero movie. It's got a lot more in common with Iron Man mm -hmm. than any of these other superhero movies. I like the Hank Pym character in these movies. I think yeah. Michael Douglas plays him great. And I agree with Ed. I think I think this take that we're just going to do like a weird little sci-fi picture you know, almost like a like an old fashioned sci fi, you know, trifle is cool. I dig that. And and I think Internet Idiots started making claims like, oh, it's a heist movie. It's an espionage movie, whatever, because they didn't have the language to describe it. But really, I think between Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man, it almost showed that the Marvel Universe could take the tropes that would essentially make an action movie of the eighties or the nineties and just inject them into the Marvel universe. You yeah. know, Captain America winter soldier is very much three days of the condor, which is this great suspense movie from the seventies set in the world of like political operators. Um, Guardians of the galaxy very well could have been like a Stallone and Schwarzenegger movie in a maximum security prison. It just so happened to be a bunch of aliens in an alien prison. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. and I think this movie fits that same bill is like, if this was just like a, uh, like a Michael Mann and uh, James Caan movie from like oh, 1983. Dude, I was yeah. about to say that fucking, fucking, uh, what's his name? It, uh, this 
And to a great extent, um, Guardians of the Galaxy have a little bit of that heat to them, like heat yeah. or thief or something where it's like, yeah. okay, we are criminals. This is our criminal bond. We have formed a family against the rest of society. Let's let's fucking go. And yeah. I think both of them share that DNA. I think there was something there was something in the water at this time in Marvel because this is starting to click, man. Even the one we're going to talk about last, there's something clicking in there. And I'll make my argument when we get to it. But like Ant Man, I love the tertiary characters in there. They don't yep. do a Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro making one of the tertiary characters way more interesting than our main guy. Our yep. main guy is always our main guy, but the tertiary guys are fucking great too. Michael Pena. It's fucking Ugh. killing it. Th- this and Observe and Report are two of the greatest Michael Pena performances of all time. You should watch them back to back. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and this was a movie that a lot of people, I think, also got up in arms about because Edgar Wright, you know, had this creative falling out with Marvel. It, this was originally supposed to be one of these quirky Edgar Wright action comedies, and then it wasn't. Um and so I think people had like something in their craw from the beginning, but to me, this is a tightly made movie. I think all the effects work. I think all the gags work. I think the humor with the side characters, like you say, Ed, I think that works. I even think like barring what happens to his mass when he shrinks, just a lot of the logic of like, we're going, you know, what we need to steal and what we need to stop and like how the villain fights back and, you know, even up to the gag of like the third act fight being a battle that they're having like on his daughter's little toy train. Everything yeah. about it, I think, is, is just a really I would use the word fun to describe this movie. Like, it's, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I 100 yeah. percent agree. Um, And uh, so let's end it out. We got uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. Underrated. That's my that's my thought. Ooh, it, hot take. Dude, it's it's my take as well, dude. I, I think I might even feel stronger than Bill about it. But uh I it's to me, just really quickly, it's one of these things where the lounge scene that opens it up. Yep. Tell me there's something way better than that in all the rest of those movies. It's it's immaculate. That's the one where they try to lift the hammer, right? That sets up the best moment in Marvel history. The moment that everybody talks about that eventually we'll talk about in part four of our awesome greatest comic book movies by decade, but now by five years <laughs> moment is set up by that moment right there. It pays that off. And a lot of stuff is set up in this movie, period, I would argue as well. I mean, whole characters, we get Pietro and Homegirl. We get like a lot of this stuff. And again, I don't get we I don't think we get anything that I consider the greatest thing in the Marvel universe out of this movie no. technically besides no. perhaps the hammer mo- moment like you said but I think that there's something James Spader appreciation day needs to start right the fuck now Let's because I it. know that all these goddamn robot characters in about 2 or 3 weeks you'll see an episode that me and Bill did about AI and we pause we go through, you know, all the movies where uh, AI is the villain and shit. And we try to parse it with what we know about AI right now. It's a fantastic episode. I'm not going to ruin it or take any talking points out of it. But like as an old school, I am a robot. I have become conscious. I see that you have slavery and you blow up people. And also you think Arby's is good. I must kill you. You know, that's old as hell. So obviously hero superheroes fighting that is going to be on some level underwhelming. And I do believe the third act is underwhelming. But Ultron is cool, and goddamn James Spader is cool as Ultron, goddammit. And that first opening Pinocchio scene where he puts himself together out of scrap, 
Oh. Get the fuck out of here. That's great. That's great. This movie does suffer from the fact that its best act is its first act. Yes. And, and it kind of steps down progressively from there. Um, but I would argue even the second act, like I'm not a huge fan when Ultron essentially turns into like a mustache swirling, uh, mustache twirling Batman villain from the Adam West show. Oh, yeah, it was like, a little over the top. <laughs> Now yeah. I've got my henchmen and we're going to go and commit a heist. And like, that's how we get vision. Um, that wasn't great just from a connective tissue standpoint, but that the, the action sequences around all of that, both with claw on the beached tanker in Africa and then moving mm -hmm. to the highways in Korea, like all that shit was amazing for in, as far as action choreography and like how those fights went down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Gr great I, black I, widow scenes in this as well, by the way, great black widow scenes. And, and even like, yes, the third act is a bit overwrought. Like I'm going to levitate this giant city and, and make it rain down on earth. Like the comet that killed the dinosaurs is a bit arch. Seems to be a running theme with the with the the Ultron villain, and like the fight scene goes on too long. It's by the end yes, of it, you're like, "There's Thank a lot." God, this is done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. within it, there are so many kick-ass moments, and I think mm -hmm. this movie almost suffers from having too many kick-ass moments. I remember the first time I watched it in the theaters, I was just kind of overwhelmed. I was just like. What the fuck happened in that movie? Like so much happens in the mm. movie that you can't really follow it. But on a rewatch, it actually all hangs together. It might not be the most satisfying, but it hangs together. And like visually, it is such an upgrade from the first Avengers movie. You almost can't even compare them like this movie kicks ass visually. Dude, and and I, I'm uh, I am a vision hater. Stephen B. Jones almost dropped the people's elbow on me on on Drink and Draws uh, show another round because after after a stellar debut for me and Ron, we were talking, having fun, and I drop a bunch of just mean jokes about how Vision sucks, and he was like, "Well, I had nothing bad to say about you until that moment." <laughs> you know, I, I just felt, I felt so bad because like, Vision is one of his favorite heroes from childhood. But we talked about it, and it's like the Vision is your favorite character when you're a kid because he could do anything. The yeah, vision is yeah. hard as hell. He's soft as hell. He gets he gets chicks, even though he has no emotions. I think that's where the pickup artists got a lot of their game from. Like, yeah, just be a sure. robot. The bitches will be all on you. No, but feelings. have an interesting <laughs> costume and right. draw attention to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah peacock. vision peacock and yeah, vision peacocks. <laughs> and, and, and when they want a commitment, they can't even touch it because you're you're ephemeral at that point. No, but, but, <laughs> but seriously, fucking, and then you die on them as a, as a yeah. master stroke. Uh, but was I just was think, the vision the originator of the Dennis system from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> dude? But but realistically, Paul Bettany as the voice of Jarvis for certain other uh, appearances. I heard he like proposed to his wife. Like he met her one time. They just proposed to her and took her back to England. Dude, this is an amazing story. So I'm going to tell it. It's one yeah. of the all. I mean, this is the absolute opposite of a pickup artist move. So they do a beautiful mind together, but she, she's with somebody else or he's with somebody else. They're not single at the time, but they get to know each other doing a beautiful mind. The movie. 9-11 happens. Paul Bettany, I think, was supposed to be on one of the flights that crashes, has a, a moment of like, 
oh my god like i would have died in this calls jennifer Connolly, asks her to marry him like on the phone she says yes and then they move in together and have been married ever since (laughs) that's bananas that move on the most beautiful woman in the world and it worked dude that's incredible I think I think uh, I think Paul Bettany is the real Top Gun. Oh, um, but yeah. So so, but Paul Bettany playing the Vision. I hate the Vision. And when Vision can hands Thor his hammer, I want to throw a anvil through the screen. But damn it, there's something powerful about Homeboy. Just I am the best superhuman robot, and I have an Infinity Stone in my head, and I'm just gonna be the best. And you're just gonna have to deal with that. So I'm sorry, but I am here to help. He fucking got it over on me over the course of time, and in the Russo brothers made a good did a good job to keep stabbing him in his jewel and fucking him <laughs> up to where he's not really the Superman of the Marvel universe. I couldn't have stood that. I I enjoy him in this movie, in spite of in, in spite of myself, and I even love the melancholy little scene of him like exterminating the last uh, Ultron robot. It's so good. And, you know, it's like, hey, Ultron, I got to kill you because you get no bitches. You hang out with copies of yourself. for You know what I mean? I, I got to kill you. That's one of my favorite moments in the MCU, actually, because it's good. Oh, interesting. what what they're actually saying, I think almost, the movie itself doesn't acknowledge how powerful it is. Because essentially, I, I don't remember the dialogue verbatim, but Ultron makes the point of like, the human race is going to destroy themselves. And Vision agrees with him. And he's like, yes, but a thing is not beautiful because it lasts. And Mm -hmm. it's essentially acknowledging that, like, even if humanity sucks, that's not a reason to reject it. And, like, what a fucking statement to make, especially in a superhero movie where, like, that's the... That is the overriding argument against superheroes. And I know Ed has it is that idea that anybody with ultimate power would choose to be good and like choose to be humble is so fucking unrealistic. But here you have a post human entity acknowledging like that might be true, but me as a post human can still see the beauty in what they are. And like yeah. I don't know, man. It's a it's a big statement. And I really enjoy that scene. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's how Marvel does Superman. Yeah. And as you can see, he's twice as noble. He he even gets over on anti magites like myself. <laughs> you know, uh, a- anti uber powerful character persons like myself. Uh, he. It's a good fucking movie, and it's been unnecessarily maligned because of certain scenes with, like, uh, the Black Widow. Like, she says she's a monster because she can't have kids. Motherfucker, that is not the interpretation. Do not be stupid. Do not be terminally online. She did not say she's a monster because she can't have kids, you dumb fuck. She's a monster because she's been killing people since she was 10 years old. And she knows she don't deserve shit, which is why she jumps off of a fucking mountain five years later. You mm. fucking idiots. It's mm, not yeah. because you can't have kids. She knows she's a monster because of what she's done. And as a yeah. side effect, that is the thing that reminds her. Oh, yeah, they took out my uterus to put in some guns or something. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm fucked up. You know what I mean? It's so stupid. People are so stupid. They want to hate Whedon so much. They hate something that he made. And I understand that impulse. There are people I don't watch anymore. But fuck, get over it, man. Whedon made that. And it's good. Yeah, period. I'd agree. I don't think it's better than 
than Winter Soldier, though. So mm. let's yeah. let's do yeah. it. Let's let's pick a like let's let's each pick a top three. Let's say from two thousand. Uh, ten well, okay. to 2015. What is it? I like. I like what Bill said the uh, last episode. Okay, you can't pick if you can't pick Winter Soldier, which is the best. Oh, okay, and you can't pick like Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Which what would you pick probably. out of this out of this period? Edge of Tomorrow. I here's the here's the thing. Edge of Tomorrow is not some squeaking into this, you know, on a technicality no. movie. No. That is straight up an adaptation of a comic book and it straight up rips. Like that movie is fucking awesome. I don't know that it's better than Captain America Winter Soldier or Guardians of the Galaxy, but without those two in the running, I think that one wins for me. I, yeah, well, it definitely wins for me. I'm, I'm a sucker for it. In, in our Tom Cruise episode, is Tom Cruise the greatest? I talked at length about Edge of Tomorrow and how dope it is. So I'm a sucker for that opinion. I'm, 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 I'm curious about Ron though. I, I actually am. I was going to say if I'm honestly, I might edge it, Edge of Tomorrow, it out over Guardians of the Galaxy a little bit, just because that movie is so, it's so fucking good. There's not a wasted shot. Mm. There's no there's no moments where you're like like this isn't an important part of this movie. The the dialogue's great. Everything that the character goes through and learns is great. So I, I like I would put it up there uh, 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 as a top top three for sure. And then I would give a um, I would give the Kingsman a uh, an honorary award as well. Yeah, and if and if I can uh, if I could jump off the edge of tomorrow train, uh, I I think it is of all of these it is Guardians, and we almost gave it short shrift because it is so good. You yeah. know, so we talk we talk about some of these things that are more complicated because they're they're they've got these flaws that are interesting for us to elucidate. But I it's telling how short our Guardians of the Galaxy talk was because it is fucking great it is well cast from stem to stern the fucking screenplay makes sense anytime that it flashes back or something is always right on time uh they're not goofy and shitty the weakest thing about fucking um guardians of the galaxy is the i guess the third act final shit where all the people are getting their stupid nova force together and just the parts where it was just sort of sort of pew 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 those yeah. parts are dumb, but the prison movie, the fucking defiant ones ass shit that they're doing for half the movie is great. The uh you you don't even know what you are and you get introduced to a fucked up thieving lifestyle and you kind of bang chicks in your spaceship and you steal stuff and then all of a sudden you're responsible for keeping something away from the most dastardly person in the universe. And for and for this one time profit is not the only motive you have and you meet some people who recognize that that's the case and they're going to have to probably die to save the universe after the universe has done nothing for them. It's like a low key, uh, fucking criminal. Like if heat fucked an X-Men movie and went Mm. to space Mm. is what gardens of the galaxy is. That's a great point. You know, it's for, and it's a breakfast club too. Heat fucked the breakfast club and and, and went to space. Not to mention, all of that after his mom died and he wouldn't hold her fucking hand. Oh, dude. Yeah, just Are you fucking kidding me? And then they, they save the universe at the end by holding hands. Holding like, hands. Come Are on. Are you kidding me? Come yeah, on, you're dude. right. And that's it the type is of fucking shit. great. 
that's the type of shit they teach you at Tish, I guess. Uh, straight up, <laughs> I'm going to go rewatch that now. Like, literally right after we're done recording, I'm going to go throw on Guardians of the Galaxy so, yeah. right now. That's and awesome. then, and a lot of these comic book team movies are all supposedly about families. You find a new family, but like, that's why, uh, as we when we get to the future episodes, when we talk about how the Guardians of the Galaxy, when they show up at other movies, there's always this methadone thing to them for the most mm-hmm. part, mm-hmm. you know, because this is the uncut cocaine version of them, and there's always <laughs> some, some methadone version that shows up in every other thing that they're in, even the times that they appear and it's good. There's always this little. This is the pure uncut shit. This is them in their own milieu in their world. And I got to say, a Captain Marvel movie done in the style of Guardians of the Galaxy would have bowled me over with a feather. Mm-hmm. Just an irreverent, super good style of just consistency. We'll talk yeah. about that another day. But yeah, but Guardians way, of the Galaxy is mine if I can't an, choose Edge. An X-Men movie done in the style of Guardians of the Galaxy would knock me Ooh. over with a feather. Yep. You are right about that, bro. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Wait, wait, what is the number one though? What's what? What is number one though? Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Edge of Tomorrow seems to be the consensus. I'm gonna give it to Guardians of the Galaxy because I think it is a better standalone experience. I I don't think you need to have seen Captain America one to appreciate what happens in Captain America two. Um, I think it's also an extremely satisfying standalone experience, but. It is building on a lot of character investment that other movies have done for you between Black Widow and Nick Fury and some of the ancillary elements, mm-hmm. whereas Guardians of the Galaxy is such a singular thing, and it does absolutely everything right. I think Winter Soldier does everything right as well, but Guardians of the Galaxy by a nose. Um, and then, I mean, Edge of Tomorrow is not far behind either of those two. It is, I mean, this is a, a photo finish between those three for me. I also want to point out with Guardians of the Galaxy, nobody knew who the fuck the Guardians of the Galaxy were. Literally at all. And Rocket Raccoon, people didn't know who Rocket Raccoon was. Fucking talking tree, are you kidding me? What the fuck is happening? But Mm -hmm. like, they made all of that shit work. I, I think I have to agree that Guardians of the Galaxy wins out over over all those, especially as far as a pure comic book like movie that feels like a comic book but also still feels grounded where each character is got something that makes them unique and interesting and makes you care about them even Drax even Drax has some moments where you care about him are you fucking kidding me how well they did Drax in that I'll go one I'll go one better even the ravagers like yes. I, came, I never heard of the Ravagers in the comics, and granted, they're very different. But I came out of that movie a fan of the goddamn Ravagers. Like mm-hmm. they, but well, as it. a concept, and 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 Yondu, the fucking the 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 oh, cool thing yeah. they do with Yondu, making not not just a bowman, he's more of an arrowman than a bowman. Love all that. So I I will say for my money and just me as a person, Edge of Tomorrow is better than these movies just as its own thing but when you look at what comic book movies have to do which is represent ip at some points like blade improve upon said ip and then start franchises which is not what edge of tomorrow was tasked to do it was tasked to be a good movie and it did that and accomplished that but if you're looking at all the other corporate uh all the corporate structure you have to deal with and the strict adherence to this and that and the other and all the oversight and everything the fact that james gunn was managed to make something this truly individual is a it's a testament to his greatness. It's a testament to his voice winning out. Even if a uh, homegirl uh, helped with the screenplay, 
and even made the screenplay. His mm-hmm. vision directorially is what saved this. Because I could see this being directed poorly. You can certainly oh. see somebody come onto this script and direct this poorly. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's just this like by a razor's edge Guardians of the Galaxy because it is such an individual piece of art and it is such a tonal powerhouse that it, it edges out even something as perfectly made as Edge of Tomorrow. So yeah, uh, let me let me thread this all back together. This is sort sure. of um, the the end game, if you will, of what we noticed about Blade back in 1998, which is for the first time with Blade, a true comics fan who knew the material and wanted to make it great was the driving creative force in David yep. Goyer, and now we see that come to fruition where. You know, James Gunn essentially bladed the Marvel Universe with Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, so there you go. So, um, thank you guys for supporting this ongoing super epic series of conversations. I know that uh, many people have uh, their own favorites that we didn't get to, so you can quibble with us in the form of a five-star review set through uh, Apple Podcasts or uh, on Spotify. And there are uh, places like Reddit threads and stuff where you can take a picture of you bigging us up. Send that to email thegreatestpod, and we will read those type of reviews, and you get to be part of the show in that way. Your ideas will be part of our conversations. Yeah, and you can also... Uh, if you want to give us a few shekels here and there, go ahead and send us, uh, you know, uh, a little money on the Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash the greatest pod. You get extra pods and stuff like that and art. And uh, it's 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 a blast. So come on over. Thank you for listening to our galaxy's worth of conversation on <laughs> another <laughs> epic episode of the greatest I am Groot. (laughs) We are Groot.